Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I am your host, Nadia Oxford. I have been uplifted from the role of co-host this week because Kat went to see a man about a horse, and she never returned. <laughs> Just kidding. She's away this week, so here I am in the driver's seat. You stick around, maybe I'll, I don't know, honk the horn and, and run the sirens or something cool like that. Uh, luckily, though, I am not alone. I am actually joined by my excellent friend, uh, Ash Paulson of Good Vibes Gaming. Thanks for joining me, Ash. Thank you for having me. And, and for a second, I was wondering if, you, if if Kat was meant to have been seeing me about her horse or something, because I was lucky enough to see her last night because she's actually here in L.A. for an IGN thing. And uh, so I actually saw her last night. I'm like, wait, I didn't get this memo about this horse. I'm confused. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, I mean, it's an expression that uh, my apparently my great grandfather in Ireland used to say, I'm going to see a man about a horse or see a man about a pack of matches when he's going down to the pub because he didn't want to say, I'm going to, I'm going to the pub. So that's that was, so funny. Uh, I've never heard that before. I love it though. That's so cool. I'm going to keep that in my repertoire. I, I think it also works if you have to get up and pee. So uh, uh-huh. it's, it's good. It's good for anything you have to excuse. Anytime you have to excuse yourself for something sinful, that's what it's good for. So I have to see a man about a horse. Okay. I'm going to keep that in my mind because I sin a lot. So yeah. Oh, yeah. oh God, that's all I do. That's why I subsist. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm jealous you got to see Kat because I haven't seen her since before COVID. So I'm I'm glad that you got to do that. Nice. Oh, I did. That makes sense. I didn't realize you. Of course, you haven't seen each other since before COVID, which like like until last night, we hadn't either. The last time I saw her was for the Sonic the Hedgehog movie premiere in San Francisco. And that that's literally the last time I saw her. And uh, and so it was so great getting caught up. I just hope next year is the year that we can all you know, start going to shows again. I, uh, Steve and I at, at GVG, we're going to PAX for better and worse because we just mm-hmm. want to have that experience. We're both fully vaccinated. We're going to be masked up, but we just want to do a show. And as you know, PAX did just release their exhibitor list and it's looking really, really sad. So yeah, I don't know yeah. that there's going to be a whole lot for us to do there, but we do have an Airbnb. Uh, uh, Brandon's also coming with us from our design team, uh, or he's our video editor now. And we also have someone coming from our design team. So it's going to be four people, you know, four team members in an Airbnb, plenty of time to stream, get up to some nonsense. It'll be fun. We'll, we'll get some content out there. That will be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to the days when I can do that again. I just love that Sonic the Hedgehog was like the harbinger of doom because like uh-huh. the last movie I saw was Sonic the Hedgehog. The yep. last movie anyone saw was Sonic the Hedgehog and then the virus hit. Yeah, here's a <laughs> pandemic for you. All right. Yeah, gotta go fast. Gotta go fast. COVID, baby. Yeah. No, oh, that's, Sonic. That's I. Uh, it is really weird that that given just given the general air of memeness around Sonic, that that is actually the movie that we all saw before the pandemic hit. That's ridiculous. Somehow it just really suits the the, the reality that we're living in. It does. It really does. And uh, what a reality it is, huh? Oh God. I mean. Well, well, luckily, we have something to kind of smooth it over a little bit. We're actually going to have a really nice podcast here where, yes. uh, you know, we're going to talk about um, Final Fantasy IV, actually. Even though Kat said, don't talk about Final Fantasy IV, I'm going to talk about Final Fantasy IV. <laughs> nice. <laughs> because I'm in the driver's seat. Like I said, toot, toot, there goes the siren or however that's supposed to sound. I think it's relevant because, number one, Final Fantasy IV just celebrated its uh, 30th anniversary, I think it was, um, not that long ago. Okay. And... Uh, of course, the Pixel remaster is coming out very soon on September the 8th, I believe. And uh, I'm sure people have mixed opinions about that because, you know, it's on iOS, it's on Steam, but it's not on consoles and people are mad about that. That was my single least favorite moment of E3. Like, in fact, we we uploaded a GVG, we uploaded a reaction snippet 
just for that because that was the moment Square Enix broke us. Like we we just saw this <laughs> FF Pixel remaster. We we're like, oh yeah, the first six games, hell yeah, gonna play it on Switch. This is gonna be awesome. Oh my god! And then Steam and Mobile, and nothing wrong with Steam and Mobile. I just prefer no. to play games on consoles. And yeah, I'm like, no, especially. Square, how did you miss? I mean, that is just the biggest swing and a miss. How did you not realize that people would want to not only play these on any console, but especially the Switch? These were made for the Switch. And I'm yeah. like, and I feel like it's a matter of time. Kat was saying that last night. She's like, don't, it's going to be a matter of when, not if. And I'm like, I know, but why not just do it all at once, you know? But the thing that keeps me, I mean, I, I am very optimistic. I want to be optimistic in my heart. But at the same time, I think about how the best version of Secret of Mana is stuck on mobile and hasn't been released on consoles. And it has me very depressed when I think about it. That's a good point. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that either. And and not to mention, Chrono Trigger is somehow not yeah? on the Switch. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't understand. Square I don't get Enix's it. They, they could easily just, you know, and what and it's not just what they would do. Uh, or should do what they will inevitably do if it ever does come to Switch. They're just going to port the Steam version for twenty four ninety nine, and I'm going to pay for it if we don't, you know, if we oh, don't get yeah, a review yeah. code. I'd still pay for it because it's Chrono Trigger. But like, of course, you know, they could. It's just such easy money for them. Just throw Chrono Trigger on the Switch, charge the usual Square Enix tax twenty five bucks for it, whatever. People will buy it. You know, yeah. Uh, but I, I really do think that the Pixel Remasters, like, they're too prolific and the Switch is too big to really ignore the fact that it belongs on consoles. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when Secret of Mana came out, to be fair, it wasn't a great time for consoles and everything was on iOS every anyway. So maybe they just kind of forgot about that version of Secret of Mana. Maybe someday it will be uplifted. I hope so. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the story of why we're covering Final Fantasy IV. And if you don't like it, we got two words for you. Sit and listen. That's... <laughs> Three words. I'm sorry. Uh, Spoony Bard. There. Nice. There's your two words. Nice. <laughs> okay. Uh, before we get into anything like that, though, uh, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. Acts of the Blood God is a Patreon supported podcast at patreon.com forward slash blood god pod. Patreons at the $5 and up level get episodes a week early and ad free. Patreons at the $5 level also get access to our Final Fantasy 14 podcast, Charlene Dropouts, a week early and ad free. Patreons at the $10 level. Get access to all kinds of specials, including our Summer of the Rings, wherein Kat and I deconstruct Lord of the Rings movie trilogy as well as The Hobbit. The $10 level also gives you access to the Pantheon of the Blood God, wherein Kat and I evaluate classic RPGs and judge whether or not they deserve to be enshrined with the best of the best. The latest episode, which is coming out very soon, is Disco Elysium. I think you all know how this is going to go, but since Disco Elysium is such a, a, a mind bork, like, it's going to be the discourse itself is going to be fun. All right, with that spiel done, uh, let's move on. Now, Ash, you've been a guest on the show before, and yes. we've always loved having you. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what we're playing right now. And this is just something we do to bridge between the news and the, the introductions to kind of ease us into the discussion. So uh, you're our guest. Why don't you go ahead and tell us what you've been playing lately, if anything? Cool. Well, um, as I kind of mentioned to you before we started recording, work-wise, this has been the week from hell for me. So I've had very little free time. I did just uh, recently wrap up playing Blaster Master Zero 3 from uh, oh. my good house at NT Creates. And uh, I, I recorded a kind of in-depth review discussion with uh, some some of our GVG community members and past TNT, or today's news tonight guests. And uh, I, I finished that maybe a week ago now, and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I love that whole trilogy. Nadia, I feel like you would adore it given I what know I, know of I would love tastes. it. Yeah. Because um, even though I never really grew up with the original Blaster Master, I never played it very Same. much. But 
I love what Intercreates has done with the lore, even just like yeah. combined uh, Western, Eastern, and even that crazy ass World of Power book. Yeah, I love that that's worked its way into the lore as well. Like I know that started with another game, but Intercreates said, "Hey, let's just bring this all in. Let's all go crazy." It looks very cute and looks like a lot of fun. And as someone who also did not grow up, you know, I only played a little bit of the original Blaster Master growing up, and I cer- certainly did not go into the original Zero with a lot of, you know. Um, prior knowledge of the lore knowing what i know now uh, through the course of the series the way they wrap things up and the way they connect the zero games to the existing lore it's actually kind of brilliant and i I, whenever you get a chance you should play the trilogy and i I don't think it's a coincidence because you know this is into creates and into creates are also responsible for one of my other favorite endings in all of gaming which is the Mega Man zero series they are really damn good at writing endings which is important so many people forget how the importance of a good conclusive non-sequel baby ending and they they deliver on that on that front with blaster master zero as well um i've always i've also been chipping away at uh skyward sword hd which i've been look i've been enjoying revisiting because it was probably the 3d zelda i remember the least prior to its remastering and uh it was always vying be, vying with Twilight Princess for my least favorite 3D Zelda. There are things I like about both games, um, but I could never quite decide which was my least favorite. And I got to say, I'm, I'm still fairly early on because I haven't had much too much time to play. But Skyward Sword HD is a much more drastic improvement over Skyward Sword than Twilight Princess HD was over Twilight mm. Princess. And mm-hmm. I find myself consistently floored by how gorgeous the the glow up this game got is you know the the whole the the widescreen hd presentation 60 fps i mean i i just don't think that skyward swords art style was able to be properly served by the wii and by and it's no absolutely limitations it just the painterly art style really i think finally looks the way it was always meant to look in this remaster and i'm having a good time with it i have to say yeah, um, I feel like Twilight Princess, like I love Twilight Princess a lot. And Skyward Sword is, I haven't played the HD version, but it's a, it's not exactly my favorite Zelda, but it has some of the best dungeons I've ever seen in the series. So I do right. give it that much. And I do feel like Twilight Princess had, its its main flaws are baked so deeply into the gameplay that it's probably difficult to se- to, to separate. Whereas uh, Skyward Sword, one of its biggest failings was the control scheme and right. they resolve that more or less some people like it some people don't and with that fixed you can kind of go back and really enjoy skyward sword as you said mm-hmm. the way it's supposed to look because it is a gorgeous game and you can tell that breath of the wild got a lot of its inspiration from uh skyward sword in terms of its visuals right so i think the glow up yeah it almost certainly benefits uh skyward sword a lot and i've been kind of waffling on whether i should buy it or not but uh, i guess I'll, I'll think about it some more yeah, it's been fun to revisit. And, and for me, you know, it doesn't fix my main issues with the game, which were really the world design. I don't like having, yeah. you know, Hyrule segmented into three smaller areas. You know, that just doesn't yeah. feel like Zelda to me. Uh, I actually enjoyed the motion controls back on the Wii. And I, I was one of the few, seemingly few defenders of them back on the Wii. And even now, I've played with both the Pro Controller, you know, just kind of non-motion controls. And that's, I'm glad that exists. But I'm still having a lot more fun playing with the proper motion controls with using oh. the Joy-Con. So I got to say, that's, go. yeah, that's, that that has been maintained for me. Uh, but the, on the other hand, the same things that I always found to be Skyward Sword's greatest strengths back on the Wii are still its greatest strengths now. The soundtrack is fantastic, yes. mostly. The story is great. The characters yeah. are interesting. Like, it's it's definitely... 
it's a different Zelda game in terms of kind of what it does right and what, what it does wrong. But but I'm glad to be revisiting it and kind of being able to kind of update my feelings on it because it's been it's how's it been 10 years since uh, I don't came out. how I don't understand. <laughs> it has my favorite iteration of Link and Zelda. I think they're so cute together in this game. I, I love their relationship. I they're they're like I love their whole, you know childhood not not even that I, I like that they don't even spend too much time on the will they or won't they part they're just like yeah. no they are <laughs> they're they their are. childhood <laughs> friends clearly they are into each other clearly they adore each other they are it's just a matter of getting them to that point and i like that yeah. there's no real yeah. waffling that you know even at the beginning you know zelda's getting right up in link's face and clearly flirting with him and it's just yeah. like it, it's it's so cute and yeah no i completely agree um and i guess just uh then really beyond that I have been well, I, I have a Monday night hangout with two of my best friends on Discord where we play Fall Guys every Monday night. So I'm always uh, playing Fall Guys every week just because, it's, you know, we that's what we play together. And it's, it's fun. a lot of fun. I like it a lot. And I've been playing uh, Streets of Rage 4 Mr. X Nightmare uh, DLC. Oh, yeah, that's runs. the DLC. Yeah. Yeah. And Streets of Rage 4 just in general. What a game. I, I just that is the perfect example of how to revive a classic series. Um, Are you looking forward to Ninja Turtles? No, I'm not looking forward to it. I am really melting into no, I'm melting into a puddle out of hype for it. Looking forward to it doesn't <laughs> even begin to describe my hype for that game. I everything about that game ticks all the right boxes for me so far. Even the fact they've got T Lopes on the music. The music yes. we've heard in the trailer so far is so good. The, the pixel animation is perfect. I'm a huge TMNT fan anyway. They just of added course. April. April is having the best week of her life. She uh, is, isn't she? April. Holy crap. Yeah, like 80s, 80s April, April has never been playable in a game before, except for maybe one of the versions of Tournament Fighters, maybe? I think so. There's also yeah. a fan game out there where she's playable, but that's right, uh, right. that's not official. But I'm just like, whoa, out of nowhere, 80s Reporter April is now playable in Shredder's Revenge and Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl, which I'm also looking forward to that in its own way. It's not, you know, it's not going to be Smash, but the fact that I can play as April against, you know, Oblina from Ah Real Monsters and Reptar and Cat you know, Dog, Cat Dog, and and I'm, <laughs> I'm still ex yeah exactly. I'm still hoping for Rocco. Still crossing my fingers for Rocco. There's got to be a Rocco reveal. I'm sure I it'll be like so. a, a Smash style Rocco reveal. It'd be like, hello everybody. I know. I'm a tiny wallaby. Hello everybody. Yeah, <clears throat> I I just I love I loved Rocco as a kid, and uh, yeah, we'll see. It is weird to me that we only have half of the Ninja Turtles, and, and it feels like with April being revealed that maybe Raph and Donnie are are off the list possibly i hope that would not. be weird maybe you have to rescue them or something but donnie I, if donnie was off i'd be pissed off because he's my favorite turtle mine too i i knew i knew there was a reason i i liked you like we have the best turtle tastes the best yeah I'm, i mean no. of course yeah exactly but didn't so. your dad voice Do uh, your, your dad voiced donnie didn't he that's what's funny it's like i i get that a lot so he voiced raf in the original cartoon and then he voiced right. donnie in the 2012 nickelodeon cartoon and so when I say that Donnie and Raph are my first and second favorite turtles, people are like, oh, yeah, that's because, you know, your dad played them. And it's like, <laughs> well, no, that's really cool. Don't get me wrong. And I, that's an awesome, awesome thing as well. But just personality wise and weapon wise, just just them. Yeah. And yeah. I just love them, period. Um, so even I if mean, my it, dad, I love both staffs. Yeah. Like in the in uh, TMNT, the the fourth the fourth movie, the one by Imagi Entertainment. Yeah, like uh, Nolan North plays Raphael. My dad's not in that, but Raphael is my favorite turtle in that movie because of his personality and, and his and his lines and his gruffness. And so, yes, while having my dad play those turtles helps, 
they're just my favorite turtles anyway. I acknowledge and, and validate your love for the turtles that uh, totally separate from your dad. And I totally yeah. appreciate that because I understand where you're coming from. Raph is not my favorite. Leo and Donnie are probably my favorites. Okay. Leo, I go back and forth on. I know, you know, he's, he, it's hard for him. He's, a, he's in the role of the yeah. leader. He's, he has a lot of pressure on him that it's a different kind of pressure and expectation placed on him than the others. But he also just comes off as such an asshole sometimes because of it. And I just, he, like, especially in that, in the Imagi movie, like the whole rooftop yeah. fight between Leo and Raph is probably my favorite team and related anything ever. It's such a good fight. And they're, they're, the, the emotional drama and stakes are so high, but that's a perfect example of Leo being an asshole when he says things like, you're not ready. You're, uh, you're hot tempered or whatever it is. And he's like, and more importantly, I'm better than you. And it's like, I just want to punch <laughs> you, man. God, I don't there blame there are definitely iterations of of Leo where he needs to be smacked by Splinter, and sometimes it happens sooner than later. But yeah, he, eventually he gets his head back on his shoulders. Sometimes. Exactly, exactly. The thing is, there's no bad Ninja Turtle. They're all awesome. None of them can work without the other three, and that's what makes you know the, the team and T's so special. No, absolutely. I'm looking forward to the game myself. Oh, can't wait. But going from Turtle to something completely different, uh, I've been playing Disco Elysium uh, for oh, our Pantheon, okay. which is coming up. Have you played that at all? Uh, no, I've, I've seen some trailers of it. It doesn't look like I've, I've heard all the amazing th things people love it, uh, love about it, but it doesn't quite look like my cup of tea from what I've seen. I'm not sure. It's very, very, very pointy, clicky adventure. Okay. Uh, uh, it, the writing is just absolutely fantastic, but it is a very dark, disturbing sort of game. Hilarious sometimes. Like it's dark mm -hmm. and humorous, which is my favorite kind of humor because I'm twisted. But it's. <laughs> um, it's definitely not for everybody. It feels very, it's not a relaxing gameplay experience. And that's sometimes what I want out of a game is just relax. And yeah. Disco Elysium is definitely a trip and I'm enjoying it very much. And I think that if you are into adventure games at all, you should definitely give it a try. But okay. it's not, if someone came up to me and said, yeah, I played Disco Elysium and I really appreciate how it's built, but it's just not for me. I'm like, yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from. I have but, to be uh, in the in the right mood for adventure games. Exactly. And, and I think that's what it is. And and I'm actually glad you brought this up because I completely overlooked a game that I am playing actually with my wife right now. And it is an adventure game. And that is the great Ace Attorney Chronicles. Oh, and, that's, and, yeah. yeah. And Ace Attorney is about as, as deeply into the adventure genre as I've been able to kind of penetrate, I think. Like, yeah. That, that has just the right amount of just ridiculous anime drama that kind of, you know... That, that I guess helps counterbalance the sometimes slow pacing. Uh, yeah. I guess because I just I, I don't think I always have the right mindset for adventure games. But Ace Attorney kind of hits that nice middle ground for me. And my wife and I played the original trilogy together, loved it. And so as soon as Great Ace Attorney Chronicles came out, I, I was like, babes, we got to this time. And she's like, hell yeah, it's been so we tried to play Apollo Justice together, but it wasn't the same crowding around my little DS. And she's like, you know, I uh, apologize. This is cool. But if we could play it on TV, it'd be better. And I'm like, yeah, I know. So we kind of dropped it. Finally, now we can play Ace Attorney games on TV again. And uh, the, so we've been having is a, here. a great time with the great Ace Attorney Chronicles. I, I love that series. Yeah, I actually got I haven't played Ace Attorney in a very, very long time. And I love the series. Like I remember when the first one came out, I was one of the first ones to be like, holy crap, this game's incredible because I was with about.com at the time and I got sent a review code nice. or a review actually copy back before codes were really a huge thing. So yeah, I was really big into that and I was into two and I think I played three, but then I fell off and I want to get back on the, the wagon and mm -hmm. I don't know if the great ace attorney uh, 
Chronicles or whatever is a place to get back on or not. I think so, just because it's it's it takes place in a different time period. It's it's right. you know it's basically feudal era Japan with uh, Phoenix's ancestor, and uh, so you know there's there's no direct knowledge of the main series needed. Um, so I think it's a perfectly fine place to pick the series back up if you want. That said, if you if you're not sure if you finished three or not, I would go back and like finish the original trilogy because the original trilogy just tells one of the best, most complete stories in, in a series of games that I've ever experienced, really. Um, things no, kind of take right. a different a different direction with Ace Attorney 4, 5, and 6, but those first that first trilogy is just really immaculately written. And so far, though, the uh, the great Ace Attorney, I'm, I'm still in the first game, but it's also very well written, really charming characters with little visual tics and stuff. You know, the, everything you love about Ace Attorney is just here, but with a feudal era Japan and uh, and, you know, classic england london flavor right uh yeah. sherlock holmes uh herlock herlock holmes, holmes. I think you're calling yes yeah <laughs> which correct. is so ace attorney that is so ace that's attorney. amazing yeah uh we, we don't want the estate on our ass how do we fix this uh there right <laughs> there was a reversal letter it's no, so that's good. fantastic yeah it's perfect uh yeah so disco elysium is certainly a very different flavor from grady's attorney uh <laughs> yeah. but another game that i'm playing i'm always playing final fantasy 14 to just kind of uh do my crafting things and level up. I have a ninja I'm working on. And uh, it's funny, a really good friend of mine who I've known for a very long time is really deeply into Western RPGs. And I okay. don't know if she's ever played a Japanese RPG, let alone a Final Fantasy game. She is absolutely mad about Final Fantasy 14 now. Like, Interesting. She's just really into it. Because when, when she said she started playing, I'm like, oh my God, this is going to break my heart because she's going to hate this game so much. But no, she just she's like, oh, my God, I could be a giant pirate lady. And now she's a giant pirate lady <laughs> running yeah. around the game. And so I'm trying to find her so we can play together. But, yeah, that's uh, that's been my uh, week to school Elysium and trying to find my friend. So I found her. Nice. Well, I, I feel like with uh, with FF4, like there are certain Final Fantasy games that are probably a little bit more outwardly friendly to to more, you know, to people who are more fans of just Western RPGs. And I feel like 14 yeah. and 12 probably are those games. So I, feel I think like, you're right. Yeah, and I feel like just by virtue of it being an MMO and the way it plays, that's kind of more Western RPG friendly, I think. Yeah, and also I think one of the things that is drawing her in is the writing because there's a lot right. of, even though A Realm Reborn gets a lot of flack for its story, it's not great, it still has a lot of fantastic character moments and it still has some great translation, some great localization from Michael mm -hmm. Koji Fox. Uh, a million billion references to Gen X stuff, so that's exactly oh, cool. the target we're looking at here. Like, uh, there was a, a a fate kind of a quest where you have to defeat uh, you know curls right those big cats with the oh, big yeah. whiskers. There's one where you have to defeat a bunch of those, and the quest is called Careless Whiskers. And she thought that was the greatest thing she ever heard in her life. So <laughs> I, I said, "Yeah, that's, that's that's awesome." And I I have to say, just I, I only played about eight hours of fourteen, and not because I didn't like it, just because I don't have time for an MMO. Yeah, uh, no, and, absolutely. And I've heard that if I was going to play an MMO, that being the hardcore Final Fantasy fan that I am, 14 has to be the one. And I, I got to about level 10, and and uh, I was playing as a, uh, I think it was a Lalafell. Oh, a yeah, little, little anime boy. And uh, yeah. I, basically, I tried to take these Western character designs and, and choose the most anime one I possibly could. <laughs> and, of course. Uh, and I was enjoying myself. And I, I even in the several hours I played, I could already tell that the writing was just top notch. Very, yeah. no, very absolutely. good localization. And uh, and yeah, no, I, I, I wish I had the hundreds of hours it takes to get to what I understand is the really meaty good stuff like Shadowbringers, 
and Endwalker. Well, Endwalker's not out yet, but Shadowbringers and uh, Heaven's Ward. And I, yeah. I've heard that like the storytelling quality in those games is some of the best Final Fantasy has to offer across the entire series. But I understand why you can't put hundreds of hours <laughs> into that. I will say, though, one nice thing about Final Fantasy XIV is it's extremely friendly to people who just want to come back, who drop the game for a long time and that. say, okay, yeah. There's no, like, I've heard that WoW, for example, has penalties if you don't play and, regu- and log in regularly. Penalties. I don't know for sure, but yeah, there's That's nothing like that in the game. Absurd. I mean, I get not rewarding or not making it super easy for people to get back in, but penalizing yeah. me for not playing a video game? I don't have time for that shit. Not as an adult. Are you no. kidding me? No, God. we're all adults here. We have taxes to pay, uh, yeah. supposedly. So get <laughs> so out that's of here why. with that. No, so uh, if you ever want to get back into it, and you're right, because like, have you ever watched the CG intros for even like A Realm Reborn or, or any of the uh, like the end of the world? I have, in, in... and it was really so, cool. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what one of the things that drew me in is you could mm-hmm. see so many of the Final Fantasy callbacks, like the Magitek armor and, you know, white mages and red mages and everyone doing their thing on the battlefield i thought wow that's really cool the whole thing is one big love letter i hate saying that works it's such a cliche but it's one big love letter to final fantasy that's what i've heard yeah yeah so you would absolutely adore it oh well and and i have you know, as you know me i'm like you know i'm all about video game music i'm obsessed with it and i oh, have yeah. actually listened to a lot of the rearrangements on youtube of various final fantasy songs uh from ff14 and there, one of the more recent ones that i was just blown away by was I think it's for some major boss fight in, in one of the more recent expansions, but uh, it's the extreme from Final Fantasy VIII. And yeah. the rearrangement of that was just so good. So yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, the music's freaking incredible, um, especially, as you said, the remixes and stuff like that. Mm. And I'm really looking forward to a lot of new Final Fantasy IV remixes because this the, the Endwalker expansion is already showing a lot of signs that it's going to take place in a very Final Fantasy four themes like environment. So I'm you're going to the moon. Like Yeah. There's already a mount for the lunar whale. Like there you go. That's so cool. <laughs> I lie I heard about that too. That's so cool. And it plays the music when you when you uh when you get on it. So I haven't bought it, but I'm oh. I'm sorely tempted. I'm I'm surprised sorely you tempted. haven't yet, just for that yeah. alone. That is what we are playing, I suppose. And uh Let's dive real quick into a little bit of news. Uh, not going to spend too much time on that because nothing extremely exciting is going on, or so I say, but uh, there's a few things. Number one, uh, Ash, have you played Moon, the kind of reverse RPG that was put back on the Switch, like where you observe the hero and find out he's a dick and you're kind of observing an RPG world as a ghost? I have not. I've heard really interesting things about it, though. It's it's one of those things that I would like to just get around to playing that. And uh, I don't think it's out on Switch yet, but Omari, uh, I've heard really good Omari, things about yeah. as well. And uh, but yeah, but but Moon, I have not played and I am curious about it because I've heard very interesting things about the way it, it acts as a subversion of various JRPG tropes. And uh, I'm curious about it. Yeah, I played a bit of it. It's coming out on Steam. I think maybe iOS. uh no date announced yet, but I found it very interesting and I saw what it was trying to do. But here's the thing. I feel like Undertale, which was inspired by that very idea, mm-hmm. did it so much better that I was just like, okay, I've had this experience before. I've had it done better, a little more subtly, which is saying something because Undertale isn't always subtle. So right. I appreciate it for what it is. And of course, the graphics are gorgeous, but it's definitely, um, it's different. I, I think mm-hmm. people will will either love it or hate it. And um, you might get a kick out of trying it, but I can't yeah. say for sure. It is. Well, I do uh, like Undertale a lot. Yeah. So like, 
I adore Undertale. So yeah. I'm sure people on the show or who are listening to the show have a lot of opinions on Moon. So by all means, right. if you want to throw tomatoes at me, here I am. <laughs> well, I guess, well, if I'll take some of the tomatoes off of you because here, here's my admission. As much as I love Undertale, and I do, my, my wife and I played through it together, uh, just the regular, the, the standard run. Uh, my, my wife's favorite game of all time is Earthbound. So, of course, she was already super into what Undertale was doing. Uh, and, and I love it as well. But we haven't done the true path, pacifist run. And that I, I've gone out of my way to avoid watching that particular final battle because I know the music. I love the music, but I want to really appreciate it in the context of what's happening in the game. And so I'm sorry, everyone listening. I do love Undertale, and I really mean that, but I have not played the pacifist run. And that's I feel like that's what I need to do that before I even think about trying Moon. Undertale, the pacifist run is everything. I know. <laughs> that's the I whole know. point. I know. I know. <laughs> and I, I just, we have, it, part of the problem is that's something that like my wife and I would play together. And so I'm, I'm limited by, well, we are limited by each other's schedules. Of course. Right? So right. it's just not something I can sit down and play whenever I have free time because I you know need to do it when we can do it together. And that makes it a lot harder. No, I, I feel that pain because my husband and I have the same thing going on with a lot of games. Like uh, we haven't finished Like a Dragon because- we're always uh, oh, we want to play together like a dragon. I love that game, but I'm, I've gotten stonewalled by the three million yen progress blocker later in the game where you have to make three million yen to progress. with the story. Oh, and I love the game and I, I do swear to God, I'm going to get back to it because I want to see the story through. I love that game. I love Ichiban, but I just haven't had time to sit down and do what I need to do the grinding to get three million yen. I have not done that yet, but I have heard many good things about I don't know how they relate. But something about omelet the chicken yep. running a business, yep. and <laughs> that will make you a uh, a yenyanier or whatever. That's you what call I. It. That's what I need to do. It's it's specifically sitting down to do the business management mini game and make the money I need to to progress. Yeah, yeah, you can do it. Yeah. I believe in you. I have to say, for Undertale, there's also the genocide route, which I did not do. Because, I will. Oof. I will not be doing that. I know no, what it entails. No. I've seen. I've watched a little bit of it on YouTube. I don't have the heart for that. I can't do it. No, it's uh, it's a very purposeful path you have to take, and right. I managed it. Felt terrible through the whole thing, and then I got blocked by Undyne because she's really, really vicious to beat, and uh, mm -hmm. so never even no, don't don't even mind sense. I didn't even get anywhere near him. So uh, I looked it up on YouTube. Oh, so you just yeah, that's kind of what I ended yeah. up doing. I haven't watched the whole thing on YouTube, but there's no way I could actually play that myself and be okay with it. But it is a shame that 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 Megalovania is, is, you know, locked behind that route because, you know, what an amazing song. Mm, yeah. And, uh, well, I, it's not a smash, is it? I thought it is. Oh, they it actually is a added smash. A, a remix of it to, uh, to smash. It was a, it was a song that came with the sans me costume, I believe. Yeah. 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 I remember now. Okay. Um, yeah. it's funny because there's cat and I talked not that long ago about Pokemon sword and shield and how the battle tower music in that was programmed by Toby Fox. And I recently found out that he apparently he originally made a version of this song for some animated fanfic about Homestuck trolls getting pregnant. It was the weirdest oh. thing <laughs> I've ever heard or seen in my life. I'm like, okay, well, does Nintendo know this? Well, I guess I got to be okay with it because there it is. It's a great song. I mean, I freaking love that song. And so you hear it and it's like, that's just Toby Fox. That's just dun, 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 dun. It's so oh, driving. So, it so is. It's funny. That, that just brings me back to when I, uh, I helped out as a producer uh, in the development of uh, Hive Swap Act One, the the Homestuck game on oh, Steam, cool. and uh, yeah, I, I helped produce that and kind of bring it to release. But I was, it, it was a great, great experience, great job. But I was not prepared for the the rabbit hole that is Homestuck lore 
And so when you were talking about like, oh, fanfics about trolls getting pregnant, I'm like, oh, that brought me right back to just it was so <laughs> weird flashbacks. researching, just researching all the lore that goes into Homestuck and High Swap. And I'm like, what am I looking at here? Yeah, I kind of educated myself through uh, Sarah Zed's video about Homestuck. And okay. some people disagree with it. Some people like it. Some people don't like it. Um, I don't know how you feel about it. I just read, I just listened to it and said, OK, well. This is kind of the lay of the land. Someone might have dyed their skin gray in a bathtub. We don't know for <laughs> sure, but uh, let's say it's something that could have happened given the fandom. Right, right. So we've gone from uh, this nice conversation and segued to trolls and getting pregnant and stuff like that. So let's uh, just move <laughs> right on to uh, Square Enix. Actually, speaking of the Pixel Remasters, they issued a patch for the first three, just kind of fixing up. Uh, issues with with uh, screen size and image sharing and stuff like that. No font fixes yet, but Square Enix says more fixes are coming. So maybe the fonts will be fixed. Who knows? I I don't know how you feel about the fonts, Ash, but they're not great. Oh, they're they're god awful, and I I don't understand how something like that made it through to to production. We don't know. Release. I don't. Because, I mean, it's it's not even though it's something that's prob- a problem with every version of the game. If you play the Japanese versions, the font looks great. And yeah. I don't understand why this was an issue specifically for the Western versions. And I mean, it doesn't it doesn't take a font or typeface expert to look at that and be like, oh, this doesn't look good at all. It clearly does not. And I've seen some of the fixes that fans have come up with for the Steam versions where it replaces it with either the Mystic Quest font, which I love, or yeah, the kind font. of the the uh, the anti-alias Chicago font from like FF6 like the best version of the FF6 font. Yes, as they a great both, font. They both look so good. I'm like, why is this not... How did Square get this wrong? But then again, we're also talking about the same publisher who somehow in, in the meetings to, to talk about bringing these games back decided to skip consoles. So I really don't know. I, do, I don't know. The thing that baffles me is when Square Enix released Chrono Trigger on Steam, everyone lost their mind because it was a terrible, terrible port that did. Right. It just did no justice to the greatest RPG of all time. And we actually call it the greatest RPG of all time here. Because it is. is. Yes, because it is. So it came out. It looked terrible. It had still had like mobile menus everywhere. And I wrote a really angry thing on US Gamer. I don't think it was just me who changed anything. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying everyone was so mad. That Square Enix said, we're really sorry, we're going to clean this up, and they did. They changed the fonts, they changed this, they changed that, and then they do it all over again. <laughs> it's not as bad, uh-huh. but it's still, fonts isn't just about like how it looks, it's accessibility too. Right. Uh, many, 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 many moons ago, I did a, an article on The Escapist with the help of my friend who is now like a worldwide famous graphic designer, and he always had a huge, huge beef about video game fonts because they were always terrible and he was absolutely right and he was saying how if you do what they do to video game fonts in like the real world like graphic design industry you will get fired like it is so abhorrent how little accessibility they have how little they care for kerning it's funny how it's just i know nothing about fonts don't get me wrong but the it's always overlooked and it's so important because even though like you know, I can see, but not very well. I, I want to make sure I have fonts that I can see. I want to make sure I have subtitles because I can't, you know, you get older, your hearing starts to go, to be frankly with you. So I've right. always, and not only that, subtitles always help me concentrate on the story. Like, I like those options. They're for everybody. They're good to have. And Absolutely. even that I have to, like, start Rush and Clank, the, the new one, and put subtitles on because it's not an option that's defaulted. It's just 
fonts and accessibility and stuff like that. Video games are just so behind. It, it just that was my rant. Thank you very much. No, it, it, accessibility matters, and and certain games are making huge strides uh, on that front. Naughty yes. Dog is a great example. You know, Last of Us, Last of Us Part Two, Ratchet and Clank. They're getting there, but but especially where the font issue is concerned, you're so right. Like these are not issues that exist in other media, and I'm I'm aghast sometimes at just how ugly some of the fonts chosen for the games I've played have been. I mean, and I don't even mean like years ago. I mean, even just recently, like, as you know, I'm a massive Kingdom Hearts fan, but I don't know why they continue to go with the font they used in Kingdom Hearts 3 and Melody of Memory. It is so ugly. It doesn't space out well. It doesn't, it's just, it's not aesthetically pleasing. And and to say nothing of games like, and to be fair, the font is not, it's far from the only thing these two games get wrong, but games like Mega Man X6 and X7. So oh god <laughs> awfully ugly just to read, not and not you know, just let alone to just how horrible they are to play. But it's just like I don't understand why that's so often overlooked because a, a pleasing font, like an aesthetically pleasing font, is something I appreciate when I when I play a game that has one. And it, it kind of goes into the same category as copy editing for me. As a copy editor, you know, I mean, I we, we've worked on Udon projects together. Um, yes. and, you know, I, I'm a copy editor, and I know that most people don't care or won't notice misspellings or a lot of misspellings and and grammar issues but i do that but i do yeah we do and that stuff drives me up the wall and it's not stuff that would ever be acceptable in in a lot of other media drives me drives me up the wall no uh so what we're saying here is get your shit together video games chop chop let's go get your i'll get my grammar teacher on your ass then you'll have a problem exactly yep (laughs) You'll, you'll regret the day you were born so for our last piece of news, uh, we're getting Monster Hunter back. <laughs> Monster Hunter 1 and 2 DX is coming to Switch PC and iOS on December 9th. Um, obviously, it's, it's, Monster Hunter is a game where you, you know, it started on the PlayStation. You would kind of put actual CDs into your PlayStation, I guess, to get data to release your monsters. Mm-hmm. I never played it. But obviously, CDs aren't really a thing anymore. But right. you, can have, you can access an online CD database, apparently. And there's you're going to be able to uh, contact your friends and play with them, and it looks really charming. I suppose I was never a Monster Hunter fan, but I sorry Monster uh, Monster Rancher, not Monster Hunter. I was I'm wondering. Sorry. I was like Monster Hunter. I don't think. Okay, yeah. Sorry, everybody. Monster, Monster Rancher. Monster yeah. Rancher. Yeah. Monsters rule. Monsters Rancher. <laughs> I, did you ever play Monster Rancher when when you were younger? Ash? No, I didn't. But I was acutely aware of it, and I and I remember uh, this whole thing about monsters being generated from you know CDs from CD yeah. data, and that's really cool. Uh, and and but I never played it myself, so I, it's cool that this is coming back for Switch. Switch just continues to have and PC and iOS for sure, but Switch in particular just continues to to build the most interesting library of games from every different generation, and I just love it. I think the... I, shoot, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think the, the publisher is Tech McCoy, and okay. the trailer is out, and it's followed up by a, uh announcement from the producer of the game. And God, he is energetic. He's just, like, so happy in this video. It's just, like, powerful and projecting everything. Like, he's telling you about a life-saving drug instead of Monster Rancher from 20 years ago. So, good for him. He's very enthusiastic about the product. And uh, I was never a Monster Hunter fan. I, a Monster Rancher, Rancher fan. Yeah. I do like Monster Hunter quite a bit. So, uh, I'm, I guess, acutely curious, I suppose. I was a fan sure. of the anime when I was, like, I don't know, drunk at 3 a.m. and there's nothing else to watch. <laughs> it was that kind of anime. But nice. If you are a fan of Monster Rancher, um, 
get out your old, uh, I don't know, what CDs do you have around? Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, back then you'd have, oh, I don't know. Use your illusions one and two, Guns N' Roses. That's a good one. <laughs> God, I don't even <laughs> know what CDs favorites. I still have. They're packed away in some boxes somewhere. I don't have too many, though. I, uh, I unfortunately, uh, most of the CDs I ever owned growing up were, of course, video game music yeah. soundtrack CDs. And in my first year, first or second, I think first year of college, uh, my car was broken into on campus and Aww. everything was stolen out of it, including my giant book of video game music CDs. Um, really? Right, exactly. And it broke my heart. And I, I've since kind of started replacing that with a video game music vinyl collection, which is kind of like my own way of, you know, still collecting it in a different format. But I still admit that I get some satisfaction to this day that, you know, whatever asshole stole all those CDs probably thought, you know, they were getting a treasure trove of CDs they could actually sell. And then they open it up and they see like, you know, <laughs> Banjo-Kazooie and Final Fantasy and Chrono Trigger and Grandia. And they're like, the fuck is this? I can't sell this to anybody. So it still hurts, but I do get a little bit of satisfaction knowing that they probably didn't profit from it at all. You probably made them very mystified. So, <laughs> exactly. so it takes some exception from that. Yeah. Um, were they burnt CDs or were they like official bought CDs? Um, I would say probably 80% official and maybe 20% burnt. But that was also in the early days of, you know, being able to get video game music in the West from places like Game Music Online. So a lot of those official yeah. CDs were actually like ripoffs that weren't, they were, they looked official, but they weren't actually. So I think oh. I had probably some actually official but a lot of them were knockoffs unfortunately that's funny i didn't so like even like say what was like kefka's tower or music from kefka's tower or whatever was that all like no kefka's just... domain that was a real that was legitimate that came from the, okay. the from the nintendo power catalog and that was actually the first oh. cd i ever or first cd album i ever bought with my own allowance money i i finally found music that was for me and i was like i can buy the oh. music from ff6 or ff3 at the time that's amazing so that was one of the relatively few probably completely official ones i had but like a lot of the stuff from the ps1 era like ff7 8 9 tactics were all i can't remember the name of the company but they were all like produced by this knockoff company and it was much easier to get those and i think i only figured that out later on yeah see i had i had no idea that existed but it makes a lot of sense in the time area in the time era when you're talking about when there was still a huge gap between japan and the West and we weren't really getting any official merchandise. And I don't think Japan would have cared if they knew that someone was copying their game music and putting it on CDs and selling it. Exactly. Uh, it probably never would have reached them. So it was an interesting time to, to be alive. That's for sure. Yeah. That's uh, all the news worth covering. I'm sure I missed something really vital. I'm sorry, cat in advance. <laughs> uh, let's just, <laughs> let's move on to our main topic, which is we are going to be talking about and ranking the final fantasy four characters. Do not go away. are back and uh yeah we're going to have a lot of fun with this one this is gonna be a chill thing because i don't know about you but up here in toronto we need some chill time because we only just sort of broke a heat wave this uh -huh. on for a week so i'm i'm ready to chill well hey I, I live in la so i will say we've had a cooler a cooler summer than usual for la but it's still la and it's still summer so it's pretty warm too much sun in la way too much sun <laughs> yes. it needs to be 
Mark, I need this on so much. Uh, yeah, I'm more of a, I, I love cold weather, clouds, yeah, snow, rain, that's my jam. You should be in San Francisco. I know, right? But then, but then I'd be paying even more in rain than I already am, <laughs> which seems it, impossible. It is. So, yeah. No, you don't have to pay that. They're on Castle. At least I think so. I've never lived there, but I like to just kind of <laughs> hang out and intrude in everyone's lives. So let's just start briefly. When did you first play Final Fantasy IV slash II? Oh, Gosh. that's a good question. So my my introduction to Final Fantasy was, was funny. Funnily, it was kind of I had two introductions. My first one was Mystic Quest, which I didn't know what I was getting into at the time. A friend got me for it for my birthday some year, and I hated it. I was like, "What is this? This is Final <laughs> Final Fantasy, stupid! What is this Mystic Quest?" Oh no! And and like and I of course I I told my friend that I appreciated it and thank you, but I I basically played it for like an hour or two, and I was like, "This is." this is stupid. And I just never, you know, then I just stopped playing it. Um, And so I thought that Final Fantasy was not for me. And I was like, oh, you know, whatever. But then a few years later, I kept seeing all the video game magazines at the time just continue to have such effusive praise for Final Fantasy three. And I was like, well, I know Mystic Quest was really dumb, you know, but maybe I should try this. Everyone talks about how great it is. So I, I thankfully I'm so glad I did. I decided to give it another chance. And I and I, I got FF three. And I fell in love immediately. And I'm like, what have I been missing? I, I mm. utterly fell in love. It was it was just a I'd never had that kind of experience with a game before where I could really dig into story and characters and the world and, and the music and and uh, in a different way from other video game music I had enjoyed up to the time. And uh, so sometime after that, I went back and played FF2 or four. I don't know exactly when, but it was after after I, I got back into it was six and um I and, and and don't worry, I did eventually once I had the proper context and mindset for Mystic Quest, I went back to it and it is now one of my like it's it's not a good game and I recognize it, but I still love it in its own weird way. Like it's just really charming it in its own way. It has some ideas that are good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it didn't it got rid of random encounters. That's good. Right. Uh so you, you gotta give it has a great soundtrack. Oh like, yeah, it, it has a big <laughs> of a soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> and uh so I, I went back to play FF4 sometime after I, I got back in or I got into Final Fantasy properly with six. And I remember thinking at the time just how dark it seemed to be like it like you know how how it seemed like characters were just dying left and right and i'm like wow this is kind of this is kind of intense and of course the game would go on to kind of basically retcon all of those deaths and make it so everybody's happy and everybody survives but at the time i was like whoa and and i really appreciated ff4 for you know what it was separately from six even though i could tell that it was a you know a game from a few years before six came out yeah, my, my story is kind of similar where I, it wasn't Mystic Quest that had me, oh my god, what is this? But it was the first game, Final Fantasy, oh, where okay. I had just come off of Dragon Quest three and I went straight into Final Fantasy, and there's a bit of a discrepancy there. I didn't had no idea, because I'm just a kid who doesn't know anything about dates or Japan or whatever. Uh-huh. So I'm like, wow, Final Fantasy sucks, because it's not nearly <laughs> as refined as Dragon Quest three. So I was off Final Fantasy for a long time until a friend of mine said, hey, you should try Secret of Mana. So I did. And I just fell in love with it completely. And from there, I went to Final Fantasy 3 because I thought, well, Squaresoft, these guys sound pretty legit. I'll go ahead and see what else they got. Mm -hmm. Absolutely blown away by 3. And then I actually have a story on newestgamer.net. It's still there. And it chronicles about the time I played Final Fantasy 4. And what had happened was I was, that was the summer I had surgery. Um, I had my jaw broken and reset rewired and I couldn't really eat any solids or anything like that so it was just kind of miserable and I played 
Final Fantasy IV and during that time, and it just kind of cheered me up, even though it was a little weird looking at it from the angle of someone who had played three, as you said. You're going backwards in many regards. Right. I think that the story, as basic as it is, and the characters, as basic as they are, still really hold up. And to this day, to this day, you will not find a more brisk RPG that you can just go through and be Mm -hmm. done with it and say, this was a, it's like reading an old fairy tale that you love. Like, good, I feel good, I'm fulfilled time to move on with my life it's just something that's fun to go back to once in a while without without worrying about where should i go what should i do like this game (laughs) tells you where to go and what to do all the time right so of course final fantasy 4 is populated by many interesting people uh we decided to rate them because what the hell like why would you not rate people this is this is a great idea everyone should rate everyone no don't do that we're just (laughs) reading final fantasy people because they're not they're not real, except to us. The real, except, to us, except in our hearts. Except in our hearts. Very real. So I put together a uh, a list. Ash put together a list. Uh, who should go first? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, th- th- this is your show, so this is really up to you. I can't. Uh, I can't... You, you got a point there. Okay, so I'll, I'll just list everyone, and then I'll kind of go back and explain the more uh, bizarre choices. From number thirteen, going backwards. Uh, number thirteen, Sid. Well, I have no real opinion of him one way or the other. He's just uh, a, a dude with a with a with a bushy beard and a, a wooden mallet that comes in really handy. We're in that magnetic cave. Poor poor Sid. Poor Sid. Poor Sid. He did break out. Him. He did break himself out of jail. Like you have to give him that. I suppose when right. he was put into jail by Golbez, he's like, screw this, and he breaks out. He does give you the airships, though. I got to give him that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he gives you the Enterprise. He doesn't. He doesn't give you the Falcon, but he modifies the Falcon. You know, Sid's all right. He blows himself up. Uh, I just put him in 13 because I had nowhere else to put him. So <laughs> okay. uh, Sid is Sid. W- we love Sid. He's number 13. Number 12, Edge. I have no real opinion about Edge. I don't. I think he's the weakest of the final five that you get. I think so. Um, he can't take a hit for crap. His ninja skills are actually the only time I can think they're really, really, really useful is when you're in that final stretch to Zeromus and you have all these boss fights that you cannot run from. That are random encounters. And the only way you can run from them is I think Edge has some sort of smoke ability or something that lets you get away from away from them. I think maybe the smoke bomb item works too. So there goes his usefulness, I suppose, right. after all. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's good for Rubicante. You know what? Tell you what, Ash. Okay, so I put Sid at 13. Why don't you tell me where you put him? And then we can kind of go back and forth like that. Want to do that? Okay, so I put Sid actually uh, a little further down or up, I guess, at number nine. Uh, and that's based... Purely on the fact that he just seems like a just a really fun, rowdy uncle or grand, you know, older grandpa style character who would be a blast to party with. I just I, I feel like I want to hit the pub, have a few beards, listen to him talk. I'm sure he has all these crazy stories. He just he just seems like a good time. Right. And I like having a good time. Yeah, he, he's a bit he's a bit ridiculous. He's not the most useful character. It is absolutely absurd that he blows himself up and still manages to survive. <laughs> But maybe that's because he's Sid, because he's just that damn stubborn. I mean, that is part of his character traits. His daughter talks about how stubborn he is, and he's just that damn stubborn and is that committed to to sticking around and showing everybody a good time. He just seems like that. I can hear him having like a crazy old man cackle and just like knocking a few beers back and just hearing him talk. I feel like he just always make me laugh. So I put him down at number nine. He, he'd probably be a good company to have in the wintertime when like there's nothing to do when it's snowy exactly. and cold out and He'd have a story, probably a lewd story about 
the time I did this or the time I did that. He'd probably be a lot of fun to have a beer with, as you said. Yeah, yeah. I just I like I never really outwardly disliked him. I think he's he's kind of a weird, goofy character who isn't all that useful. But at the same time, I enjoy him when he's around. I don't like outwardly dislike anything about him. Right. Where did you put Edge? Edge, I put at number 11. Okay, so we're both kind of almost on the same level here. Yeah, yeah. He he kind of has a, a bit of a glow up in Final Fantasy for after years, but I, yeah, he a lot of characters did better than him in that case. He just never really grew much of a personality to me. He's hot for Rhea. I think they actually get together by the end of After Years, finally. So yay, everyone's happy. I guess good for them, I suppose. I guess just Edge is so he's just so toxic. He he's is so yeah. toxic. I mean, I like I know he means well. I know he lost his parents. That's sad, you know, but. He just he's so toxic, especially when Rydia is anywhere around. And I'm just like, man, you can have the hot for Rydia without being so obnoxious about it. And exactly. as you said, he's also the weakest of the final five. I like Edge always to me, like whenever I had Edge in the party, I was just like, could I just have Yang instead, please? Like basically, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of what he, he he was just basically not Yang for me is he's not Edge. He's not Yang. I know in the newer versions of the games, you can switch out characters and right. like the ones that survive. Like I always replace him with the Yang of if I can do that. And I hope that the Pixel Remaster lets you do that because that was a great feature. Right. Is it Yang or Yang? I feel like I've said Yang forever as a kid, but but I feel like I heard more recently that it's actually Yang, but I'm not sure. Oh, I, I'm not sure myself. I always just said Yang. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to do the whole M. Night Shyamalan thing with Avatar where he just decided to suddenly call Ang Ong. Let's not go there. So I'll just stick with Yang. <laughs> I'll stick with Yang. Yang works. Yeah. Uh, as for Eleven, um, I put, I can't remember which who's the girl and who's the boy. Parom and Palom are like my 10 and 11. Okay. Uh, they are fine. They're cute little sidekick characters, especially Parham, I think, is the boy who's the troublemaker. The Palum's Palum. the boy. Palum's the boy. He's yeah. a troublemaker. I do like how in the first translation of the game, he just like, yo, what's up, dude? Just like, so like, how do you translate this boy? Okay, let's make him like a surfer. I don't know. They do. The twins actually do kind of have an interesting arc in After Years where they have a glow up. And it's interesting because you hear a lot now about kids who have kind of suffered being diagnosed quote unquote as gifted in school and sure. having like expectations heaped on them only to kind of burn out when they become adults. There's a little bit of that going on in the storyline for Parham and Palom in uh, Final Fantasy IV After Years where Parham's really burnt out. He's he's kind of regarded as the next sage, the next Tella, and he's just done with all of it. So he's never really around. Uh, Parham is, uh, I forget what she's up to, but I do know that she's kind of Estranged, not really estranged, but she's broken apart from Palom, so they're not as close as they were. And there's also another thing involved with like another character, Liana, I think her name is, where they mentor her. I don't know, but they're kind of neat, I guess. I just don't like sidekick children characters. They're very rodent-like. Yeah, it's, see, it's funny. I actually only feel that way about one of them, and that's Palom. I have Palom at number twelve. Palom always <laughs> annoyed the shit out of me. He's same. He's so impetuous. He's so, you know, and I'm not one of those like respect your elders people. Like I'm not like, you know, just because a kid's a kid, they have to be all well behaved. That's fine. Yeah. But Palom goes out of his way to be an asshole and just is annoying as possible to the rest of the party. And and it, it falls on poor Porum to like try to, you know, rein him in and, and constantly apologize for how obnoxious her brother is to to Cecil and everyone. And 
he just always annoyed me. I never liked Palum. I he if I remember correctly in the after years, he's still kind of a dick and, yes. and just like really loves himself. He thinks he's just the hot shit. And I I really have I guess this is maybe just my own biases, but I have very little patience for egos in, in real life. Yeah. I don't like dealing with people with massively inflated egos. I have no time for that shit. And Palum is like massively inflated ego of the character. And and as a really obnoxious little kid, and I just I can I, I never liked Palum, so I put him at number twelve. And I hear he's a better magic user than like anyone else in the game. Practically, I know that's like, so funny, right? Yeah, I yeah. think he is, which makes no sense. I guess I guess that's what after years is after. Like, hey, you're the next sage, you're the next Tella. He's like, I don't care, I'm not. Uh, so yeah, they're both the twins. I kind of sorry put them at the the lower end of my list because uh, I just. They sacrifice themselves. Uh, great. They come back somehow. Great. Yeah. Hooray. Everyone's happy. So yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that's the twins for you. Okay, number nine, Tella. Tella annoys me uh, because Tella, well, it's his his own bias that makes his daughter get killed, basically, because he right. doesn't want her marrying a bard who is actually a prince in disguise. And, oh, no, she's dead. Uh, instead of realizing, oh, I caused this, he's like, I must get revenge on Golbez. Don't stop me. Oh, no, I died again because... I know I died for real. I'm the one character who dies for real because yeah. I'm too old for this shit. Goodbye. Yeah. Now I I have a very I never like Tella very much. My, basically, my the the thing everything I like about Tella can be summed up in three words, which is you Spoonie Bard. I love that line. <laughs> it's a classic yes. line. I I will always love that line, and I will always at least love Tella momentarily for saying it. But everything else about Tella, I just don't. I don't like, and this might get me in trouble with some of your listeners, but I actually have Tella at number 13, my very least oh my favorite goodness. character, even behind Palum, because it's just as you said, he's he's that stubborn old person who doesn't realize that their own mistakes end up hurting other people, in this case, getting his own daughter killed, as you said. And not only does he do that, though, then he has the audacity to be the just the biggest dickhead possible to Edward, who, you know, Edward is is kind of obnoxious in his own way. But he's not. He truly loved Anna, mm-hmm. adored her, and would have done anything for her. And this is a this is a a, a a man boy. I don't know how old he is supposed to be. I can't remember. But he's he's mourning the death of his beloved. He adored her, and then you have this like you know, her father coming in and just you know, throwing his weight around and calling him names and and basically just driving the the knife in worse when you're already mourning the death of the woman he loved. I, I just he I know he he does redeem himself. I get that. He does ultimately redeem himself, but he really only redeems himself right before he dies. And yeah, yeah. everything uh, leading up to that, I just I didn't like having him around. I didn't like the way he treated Edward, you know, and I wish Edward for his part. I wish he had stood up to tell him more. But I also understand that the, what the kind of character Edward is. He just wasn't going to do that. But yeah, I just I don't like Tella. I never did. Uh, you Spoonie Bard is about everything I like about him. Yeah, not to mention he's not even the greatest magic user because he can only, what's his, his cap is like 99 MP or something like that. So he can cast a few really high level spells and then he's useless because he usually misses with every attack. So he's not even a great, not even a great sage, uh, but it is interesting how Square Enix telegraphs his age through when he levels up, his stats go down. Right. Like, that was clever. <laughs> yep, that's clever. That's, I like that. That's extremely clever. Now yeah. they get older, I can appreciate that. So, yeah, yeah Tella is, 
Teller's a very boring character because even when he gets his redemption, he's just like, everyone told him, don't get revenge. It'll just kill you. Don't get revenge. It'll kill you. Oh, no, I got revenge and it killed me. Yeah. Okay, great. That's yeah. the story point. Let's move on. Well, and it's easy yeah. to also extrapolate the idea that he's also, you know, like we talked about Edge is, is you know, very toxically masculine. I feel like Tella is also very toxically masculine, but in a different, more old school way. Like you just know mm-hmm. he's that kind of, you know, he's just that kind of old school, like, you know, gender roles and I'm going to decide who you can marry and I don't approve. I, I, I hate all that shit in real life. So I don't really like it in fictional characters either. So, yeah. Yeah. I think Tell is the kind of person who would like get really mad if some kid put like a shut the F up boomer thing on his door. Yeah. Like, who did this? Exactly. Well, in my day. He's yeah. the exact <laughs> opposite of Sid. Who's like that fun old man you can party yeah. with. Whereas Tell is just really stuck up and just, old school Very and dry stiff. and yeah stiff and ah, life's too short for all that i agree and actually that's why i put edward above him at eight okay because oh boy edward yeah okay so edward is one of those characters that made me realize okay this is why i left final fantasy behind this is so frustrating and so stupid and so useless because when you meet him uh he comes into your party but the most he can do is he has a harp that <laughs> shoots music notes at things. I don't know. He can sing, which gives characters status boosts or debuffs, uh, whatever was going, whatever the song is. He does have one extremely useful feature, and that's early in the game. If you get him the Lamia harp, I think it is. It puts right. enemies to sleep quite frequently, so that will give you a bit of a break. Most of the time, though, he just goes to low HP and hides <laughs> before he gets his ass beat. Exactly. So. Yeah. Uh, it's it's funny. This may be the one I, I'm not sure, but it may be the one time that that our numbers align directly because I also have Edward at number eight, and yeah, it's just kind of like, as you said. There there there's a mix of good and bad with him. Probably more bad than good, but I I do like that, especially for a game as you know that came out when it did '91. I like that Square was able to go through with writing a male character who who didn't have the usual tropey male care you know personality traits right he's emotional he's not big and buff he's emotional he he's not afraid to wear his emotions on his sleeves he sings he loves that's cool i like that that they were able to have a male character who could be that in ff4 but unfortunately it is also flanked by the fact that he's almost worthless in battle and most of what he does is getting his ass kicked he spends part of the game in bed, you know, injured. <laughs> most of the game, in most of the game really in, in bed and injured. And but he does get a glow up in, in the after years, as you said. So while there is more bad than good, there are things I like about Edward. And I love that he, you know, he was always true to Anna. It was Totella who was in the wrong. And Edward never tried to do anything wrong, but be respectful and do right by both Anna and Tella, even while Tella was just going full on asshole. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I like Edward in his own way, even though he's, you know, got some problems too. Another character I hear who later in the game, if you manage to play one of the versions of the games where you can play all the characters, I hear he's one of those characters that actually, the longer the game goes on, like his buffs and debuffs become absolutely crazy. Yeah, so I've heard that too. I never like, played with he, he seems kind of like a late bloomer. And, and that's something that, you know, I think a lot of people can relate to in, in real life too. Some of us are just late bloomers and, and Edward kind of feels like that kind of character. He also, when you think about it, like when you think about bards, like they're always uh, portrayed as like seductive and, you know, promiscuous. And he's not like that. He's a very, as you said, he's very sensitive, very committed to Anna to the point that in the after years, he's still alone. And that's actually very sad because the whole game is about how the characters are married off and and doing whatever. But he actually, I've said this many times on the show before, 
but I can't stop thinking about it because it's the meanest thing ever said in an RPG. Uh-oh. When he talks to that old lady in the castle as Edward, and she's like, oh, if Anna were still alive, your heir would have been born by now. Oh, oh that's how terrible. I forgot dare you. about that. <laughs> oh, dare that's you. That's awful. I completely forgot about Oh, that's terrible. No, that was that was like I like I said the meanest thing I've ever seen in an RPG. But he, I think, by the end of After Years, like number one, he has a massive glow up because he's the only one who knows what's going on in that screwed up story. I didn't know what was going on most of the time, and he was the one who realized, okay, all the worst parts of a fanfic just mashed into an official game. (laughs) It's just what what even happened in that story, man? Hey, at least it gave us a kick ass final final boss theme, though. It did, though. I think that's the only original music in there. Yeah. But he was the only character who really had his head on his shoulders. Like, he knew True. right away. Like, the whole game, if you haven't, if, for anyone who hasn't played it, is Cecil's been taken over by Malevolent Forces, and Edward realizes this right away and mm-hmm. kind of has this really interesting parley with, with, C- with Cecil where he recognizes, okay, this is, this is wrong. I'm going to plant a bug with Whisperweed. And that's what he does. And he find he's the one who discovers what's going on. Right. And... He's the one who uh, just kind of helps lead the charge into fixing things. And he's uh, he has a really cute, hot secretary named Harley who's really into I it. I hope they got together at the end of that because he yeah. deserves it. Yeah, that's, that's funny. I completely forgot about that. And I, everything you mentioned about those plot points, I, 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 I think I just kind of blocked most of the after years out of my mind because it just wasn't very good. <laughs> but yeah. I'm glad you reminded me of that because I feel like all that might be enough to push him to number seven on my list. I, I was kind of going back and forth between... Edward and who's at number seven on my list. That might be enough to push them, push them up to number seven. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Edward does deserve love. Uh, he, he was a joke for many, many years. He was the Spoonie Bard, of course, but underneath it all, he's a, he's a good egg. I like Edward very much. Yeah. Agreed. When he has the right harp equipped, when he doesn't have the right harp equipped, <laughs> forget about him. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and at number seven, you were the one who reminded me this character existed. I'm so embarrassed. Fusoya. Uh-huh. Sissel's uncle. Okay. The, the moon guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's um he's he's a cool character. I think that going to the moon in Final Fantasy IV, a lot of people say, "Oh, it's drags on too long." Oh, it's my least favorite part of the game. I love going to the freaking moon. Oh, I love yeah. the music there. It's so weird. I love the architecture, everything, the way the tiles are built, and the fact you go to the moon, you meet this crazy old guy with a long beard, and says, "I'm your uncle. I knew your father." And Cecil, you're a moon guy, and Cecil's like, "Oh, okay." And, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure, whatever. And you get to journey with him for a while, and he has some pretty amazing magic, uh, including Meteo, but I I think he can cast Meteo, but it uses up all his, his MP, so it's not worth it. But mm-hmm. he's a real, real great magic user. Uh, unfortunately, extremely fragile. Glass cannon. Yeah, very much a glass cannon. I have Fusoya at number 10, just because I don't dislike him. He just never really stood out to me more uh, above and beyond just kind of being that you know, he's like, you know, Cecil's weird moon uncle and that he turns into a blob when he gets KO'd. And I like that. I think that's a fun. <laughs> that's great. What is going on there? A blob. I don't know what happens there, <laughs> but beyond that, I just, you know, he's introduced so late into the game. He's not really given much of a character arc. So there just isn't much that I find memorable about, about him other than the fact that he's kind of like a late game surprise and, Oh, you know, uh, Cecil's uncle is a Lunarian. That's cool. But that is about as far as it goes for me. I just don't really feel like I have a lot to say about Fusoya. He is kind of a stand-in for when Kane betrays the party yet again. And I need a fifth player. So he's like, hey, I'll, I'll fill it in. And he comes in. Right. That's right. his role, more or less. Uh, I do find his interactions with Golbez interesting. But that's more for uh, Golbez's character dissection. Uh, have you ever played the DS version of Final Fantasy IV, Ash? 
not only have I played the DS version of, of, of FF4, uh, completing that game is one of my badges of honor as a as, as a gamer throughout my life. That's a rough game. That oh, was one man. of the hardest, just most unbelievably difficult gaming experiences I've ever gone through. And I'm so glad I stuck with it. I just I remember getting to Zeromus and and the DS version and just thinking, how am I supposed to do this? This is so hard. And I did it, and and, and I'm glad I did because I enjoy the, the the DS version for what it is. It's a different take on FF4, and I it's it's one that isn't quite uh, replicated in any other version of FF4. Mm, uh, I don't think exactly. it's the best version, but I I like it for the way it's different from the others. But man, it's hard. It's hard. Like I think I gave up in the Lunarian Underground, but don't blame you. The reason I like it is because it does have that little interlude that kind of explains more about Cecil and Golbez's origins. And right. uh, you don't see Fusoya in that, but you do see uh, Kluya, their father. So he is in the DS version of the game too, but he's more of a hey, Lois, uh, do you remember the time sort of character who <laughs> his text takes you into the flashbacks? But yeah, he's not extremely thrilling character, but he's there he's fine his magic's good i like the color of his robes right and i like mm-hmm. how he turns into a blob yeah so uh yeah give it up for, for, for soya i suppose i just realized that i uh may have missed talking about one of mine because i i think i didn't realize that you had palm and porm at 10 and 11 so i talked about palm how i put him at 12 but uh-huh. just so i don't miss this i actually put porm at seven and she was the character that i was thinking oh maybe you know what maybe i'd bump edward up to seven and Porum goes to ah. um, just because I Porum like she's everything that Palum isn't both in terms of gameplay. She's a white mage. Palum's a black mage, but she's also so pleasant to have around. She's like, you know, she's just a good kid and she is. She's just she's pleasant. She's, you know, maybe a little too a little too mind your manners. I can see why Palum might get a little annoyed by her for sure, even though I can't stand that kid. But like <laughs> Porum is just pleasant. She's nice. She's courteous. She's. But she's also a little spunky in her own way. She has, you know, she's still a kid and that kind of shines through in, in certain ways. Um, if I remember correctly, she gets pretty into, you know, what the party's doing as well, even though she's always trying to you know, make Palomine's manners. You can tell that she's having a good time, too, in, in certain lines and stuff. And so I just like her. She was she was pleasant to have around. And I was really it's really sad that they both petrified themselves, you know, of course, when they you know have to sacrifice themselves. But I was really, I, while I was like, oh man, poor Palin, that really sucks, poor kid. I was like, oh God, poor him, no, this is really awful. <laughs> Shit, no, this is terrible. So I, I put poor him at number seven, but I might have, I might actually put her at eight now and, and move, bump Edward up to seven. This is a real stretch, but God, do you remember, he might even still be around. Uh, do you remember a musician, Owen Pallet, he used to call himself Final Fantasy. Do you remember anything about him? No. He's a he's from Toronto, so he used to play with the Arcade Fire on occasion. Oh, okay. Uh, fantastic violinist, and I interviewed him once for US Gamer because I figured, well, he calls himself Final Fantasy. Sorry, not US Gamer. One up. I said, well, okay. he calls himself Final Fantasy. Let's see what he's about because uh, you know I'm sure we have things to talk about. And he said, yeah, his uh, music really uh, was inspired in part by that death scene between Parm and Palum. Oh, and how it Really screwed him up. So, okay, yeah, I cool. thought that was always interesting. Nice. Uh, but he's a just a really, really different sort of musician. I enjoyed his his work. As far as I know, he's still out there. He's still doing his thing. I hope he's still with the Arcade Fire on occasion. Uh, if you're still out there, if you're listening to this Owen Pallet, cool. Uh, hope you're cool. Hope everything's good. <laughs> so yeah, your uh, your placement for uh, Porum makes a lot of sense. Uh, real big sister sort of aches going on there when you're expected to look after your 
sort of rambunctious younger siblings. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was never my truck, but I was always expected to, to bear it. So I appreciate that. Okay. Yeah. So number six, I have Rosa. Um, okay. She's fine. <laughs> she's she's a white mage. Honestly, she. Uh, I'm going to just say I'm a nerd. I write fanfic. I feel like I write her the way I want her to be in my fan fictions. But in the game, she's a little more uh, more of a blank slate, I suppose. She's yeah. like, you know, very white mage, just as good. Oh, Cecil, well, won't you be my love or whatever? And chases <laughs> after him. And yeah, uh, she has the white spell slash holy spell. So she becomes extremely valuable later in the game. Right. And uh, she's an archer. And I've always been interested in how they've changed her from game to game, to from game version to game version, because there's been a lot of ways they've retooled her. Uh, for example, in the DS version of the game, she has the prayer ability like she does in the original version of the game. But right. prayer actually works most of the time and restores uh-huh. some of your MP, too, as I recall. So it's helpful. Uh, her aim is a lot better. You don't have to buy individual arrows. But in other versions of the game, her aim tends to be eh, unless you waste a turn with the aim function. Uh, she can hit really hard if you're using the right elements against the right enemies, yeah, right elemental uh, weapons, uh, arrows rather. So she's not useless by any by any stretch of the imagination. She's an extremely good fighter. If you know how to use her, she's just there. She's great. Right. She's, she's a female character in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had a hard time placing Rosa, and, I, and I'm not even sure I'm fully decided on where I did place her. Right now I have her at number four. And yeah. I agree with everything you said. I just... I like her, but she's also kind of a blank slate. Like, I like that she's generally just a good character. I also, uh, you know, I think as I mentioned earlier, I, I like it. There's so many RPGs that spend so much time on the on the, the the protagonists or the two, you know, the male and female protagonists, will they or won't they? Yeah. I like that at the beginning, their relationship is established. They are. There's no will they, won't they. They are. And it's just a matter of seeing that relationship play out. And I think they're really cute. I love Cecil and Rosa. It was so cute seeing them seeing them in Secret of Evermore randomly. What the hell is that about? <laughs> yes. I yes. love that. Like, they're just, they're a cute couple. And I like the lengths to which they'll go for each other. And even though she's mostly just kind of a blank slate, just a generally good character, you know, good guy, white mage. I do like that she, with Rydia, stands up to to the men at the end of the game. Yeah. Like, you know, you stay behind. This is going to be really dangerous. She's like, no, fuck that. You, I love you. And we clearly are capable fighters. We're in this together. So I like that she doesn't just take that line down, right? Yeah. And so she yeah. does have that cool character moment later in the game. And uh, But I do wish she was a little bit more, you know, she spends too much of the game as a damsel in distress. I, I, and I wish she didn't. Um, but I do like that she's not just the glass you know the 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 brittle white mage yeah i mean her hp isn't the best but as you said she has holy she's an archer if you pair the right arrows with the right enemy she does tremendous damage so she's not worthless offensively she's actually quite a strong character on offense in the right situations so i just like her i like her design um i like her sprite i like her you know the role she plays in the story i just wish she had a slightly more interesting role at times but I just like her in general, even though I do admit that she is very tropey in ways. One thing I really like about After Years, and you got to give it the game it's due when it comes around, is by the end of the game, if you can stick to it, dear God, <laughs> yeah. you can end up with a party that has like like Cecil and, and Rosa as a married couple and yeah. uh, their kid, Theodore, like as a fighter alongside them and even Golbez and Kane. And that just that like sort of okay now we're like an, an adult family fighting i like, love that you know yeah. i love that so so much that's why i really like dragon cool. quest 5 
like that's the kind of I love that just that trope very very much so I'm glad they let you do that uh, even though it takes you a very long time to get to the point in after years where they can, where you can do that but it really yeah. is worth it I but once think. you get there it's really cool I agree it's really cool yeah 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 so yeah uh, Rose is fine uh, I I like her she's uh well, well God knows no one else is raising my ass or, or is casting like cure four on me let's face it like, right. she's she's extremely vital for the party. Here's a little bit of a of interesting high trivia for you. This is uh, you mentioned how it's not really will they or won't they with, with uh, Rosa and Cecil. It is very established that they are a couple at the beginning of the game. Apparently, the Japanese version of the game is a little more hesitancy because oh, okay. uh, Rosa loves Cecil very much, and I think Cecil loves her, but like you know, is, hasn't really come out to her about it yet. But people don't really want them together because she's a noble, and he has no one knows any idea of where, where Cecil was born or like oh. he could be a bastard. So that's why they don't want them together. But it's kind of a, well, screw you. I'm doing it anyway. So you got to right. admire that she kind of bucked that trope as well. And that's said, cool. You know, I actually wasn't yeah. aware of that. So that's actually really neat. I have a lot of stupid, useless Final Fantasy IV trivia floating around in my head. No, that's really cool. And this is this is probably slightly less high trivia. I think this is something that is more generally well known. But I always found it really funny that when she's, uh, when she's tied up in the Tower of Babel in the Japanese version, uh, it's it's a scythe that's going to fall on her, as opposed to when in the in the Western version, it's an iron ball. And I'm like, how yeah. is that? How's any that better? work? How's that better? How is that, <laughs> how is that any better or less violent than? And I feel like, well, at least with the scythe, there's a there's a decent chance that it, the pull the the handle will hit you instead of the yeah, blade. Yeah, the iron ball, you're screwed no matter what. And so I just I, that, I always found that funny. Not that I want to die by either way, but I don't want to be crushed. I think I'd rather just be sliced. Like yeah, this, I feel some, like I... somehow more dignified in a yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> so I just always thought that was so weird. That was a weird change. No, you're right. Like censorship always came with weird changes, but that was one of the weirder ones. Yeah. Let's see, okay, number five. I think we're going to agree on this one, at least like, you know, because we're in the higher tiers here. Yang. Yeah. Yang is great. Yeah, he is. I actually have Yang at number five as well. So that's two yeah, that we had so the exact same ranking. Nice synchronicity yang is so powerful he can store up his uh his charge for the next uh, hit with a boss which is extremely extremely useful he has uh elemental claws and that is enormous because mm-hmm. you have the cat's claw which i think can charm enemies uh the hell claw which can poison enemies like he can just really ruin the enemy's days just by using the claws against them he has the kick which isn't extremely useful but if you're up against like a bunch of I know imps and you just want to clear the screen. Foop, he's he's done. So yeah, he is definitely the biggest loss in the game, especially since you can find him after he sacrifices himself at the Tower of Babel or whatever he did. But yeah. he won't join your party again. The sylphs keep him. At least, well, at least in in the original versions of the game. I think later on, in, in at least one version, he can rejoin yes. the party. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about the DS version of the game, but I know for sure the GBA version of the game. Mm-hmm. PSP version of the game, he can join you, and it's like, oh, see you later, Edge. Uh, yeah, welcome exactly. to the party again, Yang, because man, oh man, he is yeah. so much better than Yang Edge. is so much better than Edge, and and I just, I, I love him as a character. I love the whole, I love the whole kingdom of martial artists. Yang's wife is a, is a baddie. She's cool with the frying awesome. pan. I, and I love the obvious love they have for each other. Uh, it's a very pure, cute, you know, love, and, and he's constantly talking about his wife, and, and I like that his sacrifice feels meaningful because... Not only does it seem like he has actually died for a while, but it's not as though it's like Sid where he's just somehow miraculously alive after blowing himself up. Like yeah. when you find him, first of all, you don't really expect to find him in the Fey March. It's like, whoa, Yang's here. Oh, that's cool. But then you find out he's lost his memory. 
and it like that's that's that adds a, a, a more uh, I guess another element of just what makes his arc interesting. It's not as though he's just back. He's like, oh, okay, you survived. That's awesome. Oh, but you lost your memory. That's awful. And so that just makes his whole arc a little bit more interesting to me. As you said, he's great in battle. the The kick ability is so useful early on. Oh my god. Uh, I, yeah, I just really like Yang in general as a character, and and every chance I could have him instead of Edge, I would take it. Every single. He also uh, in the after years, he has a, a daughter, Ursula. Oh right, pretty cool. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, and yeah, and they're just they're he's just so wholesome, right? And he's just a wholesome. Their whole family's cute. I just yeah, I love Yang. He's he's just a good solid character, and I think number five is a, good, a really good placement for him. Yeah, he's just a good dad and a good guy. Yeah, so, exactly. What more do you need? And I don't know if he's the king. He is the king of Fabul by the end of the game. He is so, right, right. So well deserved, well deserved. I'm sure he. I think in after years, the the kingdom he leads into prosperity because of course he does. He's Yang. Number four, uh, we have Rydia, or I have Rydia. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you. So uh, spoiler alert: I have Rydia at number one. Oh, oh, yeah. my, my husband will be very happy to hear that. He's nice. a huge Rydia fan. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> I put Rydia at number four because um, the ones above them, I just, uh, above, above her, I just like them more. They're my favorite characters, of course, but that's nothing against Rydia, who's really, really cool. You find her early in the game. Uh, you've accidentally torched her town and killed her mother. Oops. And she's Oops. really, really pissed off about it. So Cecil tries to drag her along and she resists and she summons Titan because she's a summoner. And he splits the earth and Cecil is separated from everyone he knows. And the game kind of goes on as you drag Rydia along behind you until she's swallowed by Leviathan during a shipwreck. And it's like, Oh, well, so long little girl. But then she comes back with a really cool entrance when, what was it? I'm thinking the tower of Zot, the tower of Babel, one of them, Golbez is about to eliminate you with his black dragon. And right before he strikes the final blow, here comes the mist dragon, which is like Rydia's kind of patron uh, summon. And she just steps out of nowhere and starts kicking the shit out of uh, Golbez. And this is still a very hard battle because your party is dead. Cecil has like one HP. Rydia is powerful, but she can't take a lot of hits. And that's her one weakness. She has really, really low HP. But yeah, like just it's such a cool entrance and such a cool moment. You're like, holy crap, who was that girl? Because first of all, you don't recognize her because she's grown up and you know she's grown up and it's just like wow one of the definitely one of like final fantasy IV's more mind-blowing moments and i think she certainly has the most interesting backstory of most of the characters there uh you get to visit like the fey march where she came from and just uh realize oh man she's made friends with all these summon monsters she's so cool she's an extremely powerful black mage she of course has her summons and you have to do like trials to get these summons and which is their own story in their own right. And it's just such a, she's such a really interesting fleshed out character. I like her very much. Yeah. I, I think I could be wrong, but isn't it the lodestone cavern that she rejoins in when they're that horribly, awfully annoying dungeon where you can't equip anything metal? Isn't, no, she's not there. Not there? No, okay. Uh, then I'm just misremembering. It's Edward. It's Edward who oh, saves you during right. that dungeon. It's Edward. Right, right, right. Which more points to Edward. Um, There you go. But but yeah, no, I think, I mean, you pretty much nailed everything about why I love Rydia. I just think it was a very, very interesting thing they did with her character for 1991, where, you know, she she joins you as a child and then she disappears for a while. And and you you she disappears for just long enough that she's kind of floated out of your mind just a little bit. And then she Mm -hmm. comes back at just the right time. And holy shit, she's an adult. She's a badass now. She, you know, she can summon even more monsters. Uh, She's a great mage in her own right, a great black mage. 
And I love her design. I love everything about her design. I love her, you know, her green ass anime hair. Um, (laughs) I love that she just can, she just totally takes the piss out of edge and his ridiculousness. Um, I I just like her. I like, I like her aesthetically. I like her personality. I like her evolution. Again, as she joined you as a child and then rejoined you as an adult. Uh, I think that was really unique and, and, and just forward thinking for the time in which FF4 came out. It was a big twist. And I, I like her story. I like that, you know, genuinely the trauma that she goes through is, is, is a direct result of what, you know, Cecil and Kane do, even though they don't know they're doing it. And it just adds a really interesting arc to her character where she, you know, has to slowly learn to open up to Cecil and learn to trust again. And I just find when I think of FF4 and it's different characters, I, you know, I, I, I think of a lot of characters, but I always come back to Rydia the most. When I think of FF4, it's her, it's her head, her sprite, her character yeah. that pops up to me the most often immediately. And I just really, I just really enjoy her as a character just in general. She also has to like it's not exactly a complex scene because it's a it's again it's an RPG in the nineties, but she has to kind of overcome her own PTSD when right. she won't cast fire magic because uh, of her her town burning down. So Which I think she is really has cool. to yeah learn uh, about that again. It's handled very quickly because again nineties RPG, but yeah, the fact that it's addressed like like when you're playing, you're like, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. Like why she wouldn't want to cast fire? Why would she? So they go through that. She goes through that bit of development. Uh, yeah, I just love the fact that she can command these huge summon monsters like Bahamut, who is like, uh, I'm not just going to be your pet. You have to show me that you can like fight with me and, and right. worthy of, of wielding me. And she does because uh, hell she's badass. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, Rydia definitely, as I said, she's not in my number one spot, but she w- would certainly, she is certainly close. So mm-hmm. let's just, uh, let's just give it to her there. Uh, I put Golbez as number three. And I'm doing that mostly because of the after years, I admit. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, he definitely gets a lot of de- development in after years where, if you remember at the end of Final Fantasy IV, he goes away with Fusoya and you know decides to learn more about his people. So yeah, in, in after years, you join him on the moon and, oh God, something's wrong. I better check out what that is. And he's like this really hot sort of topless guy with bare right. feet walking around <laughs> on the icy surface. And just holy moly, his black magic is is not to be believed. He is absolutely a slaughterer. Mm-hmm. And he has uh, a very interesting story arc where, um, again, he's like, oh, he's a, he's a very tormented RPG character, of course. He's like, oh, woe is me, my sins, blah, 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 blah. And he has to learn how to get over himself, basically. And he's the one who saves Cecil in the end, because, again, Cecil was possessed by something. I can't even remember what. Yeah, and there's actually a really sweet moment in in after years where when Cecil is finally drawn out of his possession, he says to Golbez, "It was your voice that I hung on to 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 keep me like anchored." So just the fact that he said that to his brother, I thought that was really sweet because they always had a kind of a rocky relationship. Right. Yeah, Go- Golbez is pretty awesome, and I actually there's another scene I like in after years where uh, <laughs> he was na- uh, uh, Cecil's kid. Theodore was named after Golbez, who is Theodore. That's his real oh, name. Right, I forgot about that. Yeah, I appreciate you reminding me of some of After Years' you know plot points because I don't quite remember. You know, FF Four is you know all the story beats. I, re- I remember you know pretty much clearly. It's it's etched yeah. into my brain. But After Years, I don't remember some of the finer points. After Years did have a few finer points, and I mean, only like absolute nerds like me are going to wander through that terrible game to get to them. But they were yeah. they were they were interesting. 
like uh, uh like I was saying, Theodora meets uh Golbez and Golbez is like, oh well, I guess you're my nephew, aren't you? Like he's just not the least bit impressed by this kid he's named after. Yeah, but they warm up to each other and and Cecil Theodore's uh, like, hey, you know, what are you teaching me about what it's like on the moon? And and Golbez is like, oh, are you interested in the history of your people? And he says, yeah, of course I am. And so they have a nice little bonding moment, and that's right. nice. And Golbez, uh, I think he can die in after years canonically, like. He I feel dies, like I remember but that. yeah, he does. He have to, or is it? Is it a? No, I okay. kept him alive, and uh-huh. I think my final party was uh, Rosa, Cecil, Kane, Golbez, and Theodore, and okay. it just it it rocked ass. It was so much fun. So nice. yeah, he gets his he gets his redemption, and he acts a lot like Golbez in Dissidia Two. If you ever played that, which I have not. has a lot of I played Dissidia even if 1. He just yeah, even if you just look up the videos of Golbez talking in uh, Dissidia 2, you can see what kind of character he is, what kind of character he becomes in, in after years. He's mm-hmm. still the villain, quote unquote, but the very, uh, some people call him the good guy Golbez because he's like the uncle who doles out advice uh-huh. and that's usually good. So <laughs> Golbez is a complex character. In, in contrast, Golbez is a, a land of contrast. Thank you very much. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, so this might be a little bit controversial. And after you, reminded me of some of the really cool stuff he does in after years. I, I might be looking at another Edward situation where I might bump him up a spot. So I had Yang at number five and I have Golbez at number six. And right. it's not because I dislike Golbez. I just, for whatever reason, he's this fan favorite villain. I feel like people love him, but I never really, I, I never just found him all that interesting personally. And I did play after years. I just don't remember most of it. And and I'm glad you're reminding me because now that that's coming back to me, I might bump him up to number, to number five. But if we take after years out of it and you just focus on FF4, to me, he's just he's that, you know, tortured villain. You find out he's Cecil's brother. That's cool. But it doesn't go too far beyond that to me. Like they have their rocky relationship. Right. They try to find their middle ground, make peace with each other. And ultimately they do. And that's sweet. But he doesn't stand out to me as a villain beyond that. He just kind of is a generic evil villain beyond that to me until you find out, Oh, well maybe he's not all that evil. And that's, that's a cool twist, but it just, he just kind of fades away from me when I, when I compare him to other villains, uh, other classic FF villains like Kefka, for example, uh, or, uh, you know, Sephiroth in the PlayStation era. I just, Golbez just kind of is there and fades away from me. But when you add in what he does in after years and his relationship with Theodore and what you said about, uh, we you know hit Cecil's line to Golbez when he comes out of his possession. Although poor Rosa, like the, to to, yeah. to be like, oh well, okay, I guess my voice didn't mean shit to you. Um, <laughs> but that is cool, and, and and that does add another dimension to his character that I appreciate. So rather than like saying he's on number six, I'll say that he's kind of vying between five and six with Yang. And uh, yeah, but yeah, I think just based on FF4 alone, I just always found him to be, you know, a a, a fairly generic evil villain with a twist that's pretty no, absolutely cool. yeah no he is very very much based on i don't know darth vader just that very star yeah. wars level of storytelling i totally understand where you're coming from yeah uh he has a bit more development in the ds version of the game like i mentioned the right, uh the interlude uh, where he uh kind of he watches his father die and it's kind of sad and then he like leaves cecil beside a tree and runs away right <laughs> runs oh, away. right okay yeah uh-huh <laughs> so there's actually a line in uh, in Final Fantasy IV, the After Years, where Cecil, everyone's fighting their dark selves because someone at someone at Square played Persona Four. So hey, uh-huh. guess what, everyone? We're all fighting our dark selves here. So of course, Golbus fights himself, 
no, sorry, he fights a dark version of Cecil who says, isn't this what you always wanted to die at the hands of the brother you abandoned? And I thought that was a really badass That's line cool. That's for cool. such a bad game. Yeah. So that was awesome. So that really kind of gives you an insight into his psyche. But again, yes, if you're just going by Final Fantasy IV, very generic villain. He's fine. He's good. He's has a tragic backstory. I feel bad for him. He's hot. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good job. Yeah. Let's move on. Number two. Number two. Okay. I had a real struggle with number one and two. Uh, you're probably best guess at this point. Number two is Cecil. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Cecil a lot as a hero. I still do. I Same. still love his story of redemption. I know it's very simplified. He did a very terrible thing. Again, 90s RPG, you're not going to get extremely complex about it, but you still have the scene where he climbs Mount Ordeals and he casts off his, his dark self and becomes the paladin. Uh, I still think, think that's freaking amazing. I love the Same. trip up that mountain. I love the fact that he wakes up alone and there's he's been separated from his friends and he's just really in despair and he goes to Mysidia. Everyone hates him because, uh-huh. <laughs> of course, they do. Yeah. He slaughtered their village. So they're like, hey, how you doing? And turn him into a pig and uh, or poison him or or whatever. That's great. I love the idea of going to a town. Just like, oh, safety. And everybody hates you. Exactly. And it's like, I'm not serving you, you, you terrible dark knight. Get out of here. So he goes to the uh, the head of Mysidia, the, the head mage, who tells him, well, this is this is just desserts. This is what you get. But if you're serious about redemption, like that's also possible, too. So right. it's just a really, really interesting message of redemption and change. And I've always, always loved it. I actually really love what Final Fantasy XIV does with the Dark Knight, but dear God, that's a story for another time. <laughs> Dark Knight is very simplified in Final Fantasy IV, where it's like, it's the power of darkness, you can't beat Golbez as long as you're wielding it, blah, 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 so you have yeah. to do something about that. And it's consuming your soul, so you gotta do something about that too, just saying. Yeah, so Cecil also, just even when he's a Dark Knight, he's a very sort of gentle character. He's very, right. a little bit naive, but not like overwhelmingly so or frustratingly so. He's just a... He's just a cool guy. I'd like to hang out with him. Yeah, completely agreed. I have Cecil at number two as well. I uh, mm-hmm. I, I just like him. He's he's a good protagonist, and I like that. Even though as a '90s RPG, his his redemption arc isn't the most complex. I do like that he he is put through it though. It isn't too easy. His redemption isn't too mm-hmm. easy. He is, as you said, you know, separated from his friends, and then he goes to this town where everybody hates him, and he has to redeem himself, climb out ordeals, literally defeat his dark side. Um, I, I just, I really like him as a character. And as he said, he's, he's a bit naive, but not too naive, not obnoxiously. So he's just trying, he's, he's a, a good guy trying to do the right thing and, and trying to make the best of the circumstances that he was born into. And, you know, he, he, he clearly was not the right guy to be a dark knight because he has a good heart and he, he wants to help people. He wants to protect. And that of course is what makes him become a paladin. And I do love that that's, you know, the that growth is reflected in the gameplay as well. Like we were talking about how Square pulled off some really neat tricks with some of the characters like Tella's stats going down when he levels up because he's really old. Right. Um, Same thing with with Cecil. You know, at at this point, I keep saying Cecil and Cecil. I I have to decide. Me too. (laughs) I'm sorry. Sorry, Um, everyone. I I like that, you know, the the game kind of takes the piss out of the player because it's like you've you've grown to rely on this really powerful Dark Knight character who has been a linchpin of your party. He's very strong, lots of HP, can take down enemies really easily. But then, you know, when he becomes a paladin, it's not as though he just starts from where he left off. He has to start from the beginning. He starts off at level one. And 
and he's weak for a while. And you're like, what is this? Like uh, this transformation this feels icky. This sucks. And yeah. now he's lame and now he's not strong anymore. And I want my dark night back. And, you know, being a good guy is lame. But then if you give it enough time, he becomes more powerful than he ever could have dreamt of being as a dark knight. Yeah. I mean, he, by the end of the game, he is just, he is, he is the protagonist. He is unbelievably powerful. And, and and he also has some great white magic to boot and can protect other characters who are in critical condition. I mean, he's it, it's just that classic thing where, you know, you you're kind of you have that power taken away from you. But then you realize that he only would have ever become so powerful as a Dark Knight. And and yeah. he ends up eclipsing the the best of what he ever could have achieved as a Dark Knight when he becomes a paladin. And, and at the end of the game, he's just become so powerful. And. But I like that the game wasn't afraid to kind of make you feel like you'd lost something really valuable there for a while. You'd lost that power, that, that raw mm-hmm. power. And you have to really kind of reckon with that along with the, uh, how you imagined Cecil's probably reckoning with that. Like he's also like, yeah. oh man, I don't have all these powers I used to be able to rely on. I have to to learn. And that I also look at that as part of, of his redemption arc too. It's not just character wise. It's also his strength. He has to learn how to find the right kind of strength, not just strength, but the right kind. And exactly. I, I love that about his character. I just, I love, I really love Cecil in general. He's just a good protagonist. He is he's a very solid, good protagonist, very likable, uh, has a, uh, a preference for dwarf porn, according to uh, the canon. So. <laughs> right. That's so weird, <laughs> that's right? So, that's so strange. Yeah. That's so funny. Oh, poor little sweet Cecil. Uh, but, it's actually interesting on multiple playthroughs of the game. When you play as Cecil as a Dark Knight, you can feel him plateau very, very early. Yeah. Um, and the king of Fabul even says to you, like, this is as powerful as you're going to get as a Dark Knight, at least like, well, hanging on to your sanity. This is the final sword I can give you. Yeah. This is as far as you can go unless you become a paladin. And you don't really believe it the first time you play the game because, as you said, you lose so much. But then it doesn't take too long. Like, even going down the mountain yeah. and you're gaining all those levels... And you have a sword that uh, just cuts through the undead like butter. Right. You really do still feel like, okay, I lost everything, but maybe I'll be okay. So there's a yeah. nice little message in there too. No, it's, it's really well handled. And uh, you just just talking about this just kind of reminds me of all the cool narrative tricks that that Square pulled with FF4, especially for 1991. And I, that I just think even to this day are really cool. Yeah, I, I really appreciate what they did there. And uh, I'm always happy to see when you kind of break the fourth wall and, and do that sort of thing. Make the mechanics part of the story. That's very, very forward thinking for them at the time. Same. Yeah. And I guess it's no secret then. My number one is <laughs> Kane Highwind, the dragoon. Yay. Nadia chose Kane as number one. Everyone's really surprised. Yeah. Hooray. Uh, I couldn't help myself. What can I say? I love mm-hmm. dragoons. Uh, the Heavensward trailer, when I saw that, even though I wasn't playing uh Final Fantasy fourteen at that time, I said, holy shit, I need it on that right now, because you see a scene where like all the dragoons are going up against dragons. Uh, Kane is a character who, I don't know, I guess is maybe divisive. I've just always loved him since I was a little girl. I think his... I've always had a thing for love triangles that are handled well and not boring and stupid, and I think the love triangle between Kane, Cecil, and Rosa is kind of compelling, at least from a very, again, 90s JRPG standpoint. Uh, dear God, he's just such a glass cannon. He's so <laughs> cool. Dragoons in general are so cool, but they can be so useless at the same time, but I right. still love them so much. He's great for his jump ability, of course, which can uh, help him skip really deadly attacks, like, of course, uh, Bahamut's Mega Flare being a great example. Uh, he can equip really great elemental lances. He can. He looks really cool. He has uh, a lot of power behind him. He's 
just uh, he, he doesn't hit as hard as Cecil, but he's he's like a really good companion for him. And he has, again, some interesting backstory if you get into the after years where he has not gotten over Rosa because, of course, he freaking hasn't. And he <laughs> finally kind of confronts his dark side because, again, Persona 4 and Final Fantasy style. Right. And he says, like, I can't reject you, but I you are part of me and I can't deny that either, but I won't send you away. So mm-hmm. he comes to terms with who he is and he becomes a holy uh, holy dragoon, which is a really interesting class. I wouldn't mind seeing revisited in other Final Fantasy games because he think paladin basically but dragoon and different sets of white spells like he can cast haste that is so good right to have so to have him cast haste he doesn't have a lot of mp his magic stats not the greatest but just haste holy crap i'll take it thank you very much mm-hmm. um I, yeah no i i like kane a lot and i have him at number three and of course so yeah I, even if i don't like him as much or love him as much as you do clearly i like the guy because i have him at number three but i don't know i I love his sprite. I love his coloration. So I love his like aquamarine armor. He looks so cool. The jump ability is amazing. Um, and I, I get that this is so important to his character, but he just, he's so obnoxious throughout so <laughs> yes. much of the game. The, just, he, just the way he just continues to betray Cecil and the rest of the party and just continues to be that thorn in the side. And just, he's such a pawn for so much of the game. And I, again, I get that, him having to come to terms with himself and his dark side is a big part of his character, but it's really hard for me to overlook the fact that like you called, you called it a love triangle between Cecil, Rosa and Kane, but I'm not sure I agree because there is no triangle. Rosa doesn't love him. That's and, true. You're absolutely right. And he continues to force the issue, which is all, what always felt really icky to me. Like he just, he loves her uh, allegedly, but he doesn't love her enough to respect her decision. I guess. Mm-hmm. And and to be fair, that's because of this darkness within him. And he eventually does by the time of the after years, even though he's gotten over her, you know, he, or he hasn't gotten over her. He's not trying to force the issue anymore. And I totally get yeah. that. But it's just, you know, the fact that he did so many awful things and betrayed the party so many times just because he couldn't get the girl he wanted and be in because the girl he wanted, you know, loved somebody else just always felt so gross to me. And it was something I was never quite able to get past in terms of just how obnoxious I found him to be throughout the game. But when he finally does have his hero moment, he finally does break free of that control of the darkness and, and, you know, starts redeeming himself and, and becomes the true best friend to Cecil that he was always supposed to be, that he always wanted to be. He's awesome. I love that he is part of the, the end game party. Like throughout, mm-hmm. you wouldn't know it your first time playing through FF4. He seems like a villain and he seems like a pawn. It doesn't seem as though he's going to actually be part of your final five after having left your party for most of the game. And so I think that's a really cool twist. And I do like that he ultimately triumphs and, you know, becomes the hero he was meant to be. But God, getting there is just like pulling teeth and he's so annoying about it. And I'm like, dude, get over it. There are so many other fish in the sea. You're hot. You're going to be fine. There are plenty of other women who are going to be totally into you. You're going to be fine. But you can't. You just Rosa's not into you, man. Get over it. You just got to move on. And it just takes him a little longer than I'd like to do that. But but no, I in general, though, I really do like Kane. And, you know, again, I have him at number three. And and he's a very interesting character. And I really like his arc. And I guess to counterbalance what I've been saying, I like that his redemption isn't too easy. It's not as though he just betrays mm-hmm. Cecil once and that's it. He 
continues to be a pain in the ass throughout the game and continues to disappoint both Cecil and the player. And when, when like, right when you think he's finally like, oh, okay, is he come back around? Nope, he's just betraying you again. And uh, so I do like that his redemption isn't too easy either. Yeah, uh, he struggles a lot, sometimes in unseen ways that you, again, going into the, the deeper, uh, deeper lore here, pardon me, uh, he is not just Rosa he's jealous of. Um, according to a lot of Japanese source books, et cetera, et cetera, he's extremely jealous of the fact that the Dragoons were once Baron's like proudest military force. Oh, right. I remember that. Force, mm-hmm. And he led them, or his father led them, or he right. was, or afterwards. But then Cecil and the Dark Knights rose up to number one, and the airships came in and replaced. Because the Dragoons used to have dragons. Right. But the they used to ride them, but they were all supplanted for the airships. So he's really pissed off about that. And like, you know, of course the king's saying become a, a dark knight, can you become a dark knight? King's like, No, I'm gonna remain a dragoon like my father was. So right. he's just kinda clinging to this old way. Because actually the the positions for the uh uh dragoons are hereditary. They're not really like uh oh, you don't okay. become you don't become one. Tra- yeah. You don't become one, it's all hereditary because training dragons takes for such a long time. So he's angry about that. He's angry about everything his his father built up, just kind of falling down. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I I understand that, even though it's really not Cecil's fault. There's a really interesting moment in the DS version of the game. You know how you can have, like, the thoughts of the characters when you go into the menu? like Yeah, uh, yeah. So it turns out if you follow Kane's thoughts in the final moments of that game, you can see as he descends further and further into the core of the moon, uh, Zeromus is trying to take over his mind again. And oh, I think Kane I remember is, that. Mm-hmm. Kane is trying to resist him and finally throws him off because, yeah, like the, I think Zermus was trying to get him to hate Rosa. And he said, no, I can never hate Rosa. Go to hell. Like, your yeah. mind is not mine to play with or whatever. Yeah. And then in the Game Boy Advance version of the game, when you have the extra moon quests, uh, Kane's is all about his jealousy and his dark side and how he can't really get over Rosa. And it's a murder mystery. It's actually set up really interesting. It's really cute. Well, cute for murder mystery. <laughs> and uh, when he overcomes Lunar Bahamut, who represents the dark side in this case, uh, and his, in Final Fantasy IV, in Final Fantasy XIV, Lunar Bahamut is there as well, which is so cool. Uh-huh. So he overcomes Lunar Bahamut, and he says, he says, okay, I reject the idea of taking Rosa for my own. I, I'm over this now. I promise. I swear to God, I'm over this. And uh-huh. you can see, you can see him saying, like, this is it, right? This is the end of it. And it's not the end of it, of, of course. course and not, going to after years. Yeah. It's Kane, yeah. And he tried. He sequestered himself on a mountain for however many years it was, and he broke everything while he was there because it all screwed up. So he he does have his redemption, and he is extremely obnoxious and extremely uh, thorny and prickly, but he has a decent heart underneath it all. And Definitely. that's what I think I like about him. You also have to consider the fact that when, uh, when Cecil was uh, taken over in After Years, Kane was the one who he was. took care of Theodore and said, yeah. he realized, like, I don't want him to see his parents like this. I'm going to say I never saw them. And he's he's the one who basically, like, kind of raised Theodore in a way. So Yeah, I really is, like that role reversal. That's that's a great yeah. point. I do like what Kane has become by the after years. And, you know, it is important to remember in his defense that, you know, he in his right mind, obviously it is his, it, it is all the, you know, it, it's his jealousy and rage addled brain that is what makes him succumb to Zero Miss's influence and become kind of squicky when it, where Rose is concerned. Kane in his right mind would never have tried to force the issue. He might be jealous and he might be yeah. upset, but he never would have tried to force the issue the way he does when he's, you know, taken over by the darkness. And so in his defense, 
a lot of the worst things he does is because his brain was already in his heart. We're already so susceptible to be t- to being taken over and, and influenced. Yeah, he, he's definitely not a black and white character. That's I guess that's one of the reasons I really like him. He's fun to kind of interact with, fun to follow. Yeah. Oh, God, we've said a lot of words about Final Fantasy IV today, have we not? We have. This has been a blast. <laughs> we should do this again I, for like FF6 sometime or something or FF7. Oh, my or, God, that would be absolutely fun. amazing. Yeah. I want to do that so bad. So if you are a Blood God patron or listener, please let us know if you'd like us to do this again with other Final Fantasy characters because, by God, we will do it. And you will not be able to stop us. I have to cut things off just because otherwise I'll be up all weekend editing this episode. But it's been like just absolutely fantastic, Ash. I've had a really great time with you. No, same. I've I've had a blast. Thank you so much for, you know, for having me on again. I love being on this show with you. So whenever you want to have me again, just let me know. I'm totally happy to do it. And like I said, we want to have you on today's news tonight again. So we can. Oh, I absolutely will. Yeah, cool. no, I uh, I will definitely be in touch with you about that because I think like uh, I have a lot of fun in that show and people seem to like me being there. So uh, definitely. So if I can entertain the masses, I am happy to do so. But uh, in the meantime, why don't you tell people where they can find you? Right. So uh, as as you were saying, Nadia, I'm Ash Paulson from Good Vibes Gaming. Uh, you can find us at youtube.com slash GVG official, uh, where we just do lots of cool gaming content. We built an incredible community over on our Discord, which you can find more about on our Patreon. We are uh, fully Patreon funded. We're at uh, patreon.com slash GVGaming. And we offer a variety of tiers to uh, the at which you can support us. Every tier uh, includes access to our Discord community, which has just become the most wonderful uh, just group of just positive, inclusive, kind people. Uh, and that is exactly what we're at, we're, what we're all about at Good Vibes Gaming. We wanted to just, you know, create a create a safe space for everybody and kind of push back against that white boys mentality, that white boys club of gaming, right? We wanted to just open a, become a, become a place and a source for gamers of all walks of life to just come and enjoy what they love most and uh, our community has become really reflective of that so if that sounds interesting to you you should definitely check us out uh, both on uh, patreon and on youtube and uh, we have a three days a week new show called today's news tonight uh, which you have been a guest on as i just said nadia yes and uh, that's a lot of fun and our actually our most popular patron tier i would say is our live audience tier which is five bucks a month and that gets you uh, access to not only like other perks like podcast versions of all our discussions and such, but uh, that also gets you access to a patron-exclusive chat that uh, we interact with throughout each show, separate from our YouTube chat, and people seem to really enjoy that. So, yeah, check us out on YouTube and Patreon. Uh, You can also find me on Twitter, at Ash Paulson, just my name, A-S-H-P-A-U-L-S-E-N. Come follow me on Twitter for lots of discussion about video games, video game music, dogs, food, pretty much the best things in life, you know, dogs, food, gaming. (laughs) It's, what more do you need? Exactly. So, yeah. You really but, can't go wrong. Yeah, really. Exactly. So, yeah, that's uh, where you can find me. And uh, again, Nadia, thanks so much for having me on. I, I can't wait to do it again. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I guess we can find us at uh, patreon.com forward slash bloodgodpod. I am at Nadia Oxford. And again, our $5 tier has a lot of cool stuff like the Charlie and Dropouts Final Fantasy fourteen podcast, uh, early episodes. Uh, $10 tier has a lot of like extra projects and stuff that Cat and I have done, analyzing movies like Lord of the Rings and The Witcher, the TV series. We just have a lot of content for you to stuff into your ears if you <laughs> ever want to, if you ever need stuff to stuff in your ears, we're here for you. Uh, yeah, so that'll be it. I really hope you all enjoyed this discussion as much as we enjoyed having it, just learning yeah. out about Final Fantasy IV. Final Fantasy IV. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, so for myself and for Ash, thank you so much for listening and happy adventuring. Mm-hmm.